Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenseless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without you backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have got anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. And let's kickstart this bank holiday weekend. Fiona here with you today. Happy Friday to everyone. What are you doing for the bank holiday weekend? Have you got any plans? Let us know on the show here today. And coming up, we'll be going live to Independence to see what's happening there for the weekend. There's always a great buzz around Mitchellstown. I know I was over there a couple of years ago um, doing a report on it and the atmosphere around the town, let alone in the campsite, was brilliant. So um, happy, uh, happy weekend to everybody over there in Mitchellstown. I'll also be talking to a West Cork woman who shot the video for Ed Sheeran's new song and has clocked up millions of views on YouTube and I'll also be talking to comedian Carl Spain ahead of his gig at the Comedy Club this weekend so that and loads more coming up in the show and if you want to get involved in any of the conversations you can dial us on 0818 96 96 96 or you can text or WhatsApp 0833 96 96 96 and you can email opinion at 96fm.ie We'd love to hear from you. Now, uh, you may have seen um, over the last few days that uh, a young girl was driving her car, a young lady was driving her car into the Grand Parade car park and um, a bag of flour was thrown down from a height onto her windscreen and it shattered the windscreen. She got an awful shock and I've been speaking to her about the incident and what has happened and uh, her name is Kim and she's been talking to me this morning. Kim, you were driving into town the other night and you had an awful experience. What happened? So I was just um, driving down the Grand Parade and I was just about to turn into the queue part. So I just turned, I was turning in left and I didn't see anything coming. 
nothing like that. I just, it was just mm. a big, huge, loud bang. Um, and then just the whole entire windscreen just completely shattered. And what did you think when that happened, when you just heard the bang and you saw the windscreen shattered? I mean, did you know what had happened straight away? No, I think I just froze. I just completely went into shock. I actually just, thinking back now, I actually just froze. I don't, I didn't have a clue what happened. It would just happen so fast. It was just big, the bang was so loud. Yeah. And just the whole windscreen just com- completely shattered. So, um, yeah, I think in the moment I had no clue. I was just so shocked. I know. I mean, I can't even imagine it. You're just driving along and the next thing you hear this really loud bang. You see your windscreen shatter. You have no idea what happened. I mean, you would go into shock. I'd say all kinds of thoughts yeah. would be going through your mind. Yeah. And when did you find out then what happened? Did you get out of the car then at that stage? Yeah, so, you know, I'd say I did freeze for a minute, but I just, I could see out barely, but I just could kind of make out outside. So I did move up a little bit so that I wasn't... Um, completely blocking like the entrance and the exit of the of the car park. Mm. So I just moved up a little bit and then I got out. Um, and then that's when I saw like the big huge bag of flour was actually like on the windscreen, but it had smashed the whole thing even inwards. It smashed the glass came inwards as well. Um, but yeah, it was only when I got out of the car I saw what it was. And so there was like a full was it like a two kg bag of flour that had been thrown, I'm presuming, onto the car yeah. from from a height. Yeah. So that's why it was just, you know, it obviously came from near enough or at the top floor of the building. So that's why, you know, it was so powerful coming down to actually smash in the windscreen. And when yeah. it smashed in the windscreen, you said there that some of the glass came in. Were you injured? Um, not majorly, thankfully, but you know, it did come in at me, the glass out over the dashboard, you know, on the floor and my seats on my clothes, like um, my eyes were really red and irritated, but I, I did see a doctor yesterday and just kind of, you know, checked for things, but thankfully I wasn't seriously injured, but obviously I could have been, it could have been a lot worse. You really um, could, I mean, you're so yeah. lucky. Yeah, definitely. And the car then, like obviously the windscreen is damaged, was there any other damage to the car? So I I hope not, I don't think so, but mm. um, it actually hasn't been looked at yet. Still waiting on that, so yeah, hopefully it will just be a new screen, but I don't know 100% yet. And it was, uh, was this your first car, Kim? Um, no, it wouldn't have been my first car, but... <laughs> It was obviously a car that you had saved up to buy, though, yeah, and was yeah. like, you know, yeah, your pride yeah. and joy for <laughs> bringing you around the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you must have been, it must have been very upsetting then for, you know, you're going into town, um, minding your own business in your car that you'd like bought yourself. And then for somebody to just do that to you, it must have been just so upsetting. Yeah, it was. And you left now with no car. I know. <laughs> I know. And obviously, like, you need your car to get to work and stuff. Yeah. So what are you doing at the minute? Um, well, yesterday, the first thing I did go to the doctor yesterday morning. Mm. But I was, you know, going to go into work just a little bit later. Um, I did go in, but I actually couldn't stay in work. So um, yeah. I am out of work now at the moment until just for a few, until the rest of the week anyway. Okay. And see how I feel. I think yesterday I was just, I think I did go into shock Wednesday evening, and I think 
just yesterday being in work it just kind of hit me what happened you know seeing mm. you know when people are texting me if I'm okay and I just I think it just started to hit me then what actually happened like um, I just didn't really have the mind to be in work I just couldn't mm. <laughs> I was just getting really upset and things so yeah You're probably still in shock as well I think so a bit yeah And like will the insurance cover the cost of the insur- of the windscreen repairs? The yeah, I do have windscreen cover, so, mm. you know, hopefully that'll be okay. It's just, um, it might be Tuesday by the time it might be done, so yeah. I'm just trying to get that sorted, yeah. Yeah, well, just rest up for the weekend, and at least yeah. you're not going to be yeah. out of pocket with with it anyway, but it's, yeah. it's just the shock, isn't it? It's just... Yeah, definitely. And after it happened, um, you, you called the guards, or did people come to your assistance? I So when I got out of the car... Um, I did ring the guards and, you know, they came over. They were very helpful. Mm. Um, no one actually did come over when I was on my own, though. Yeah. Um, I know people don't want to get involved in things, but, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. I just waited for them to come in. And, yeah, they were really helpful. They took it really seriously. Um, you know, they took a statement, took photos, mm. and they're getting the CCTV footage from the car park, so hopefully. just can't really don't know anything until then so I'm just waiting for them to get back to me about that. Yeah, they'll, they'll obviously yeah. do an investigation and I yeah. suppose, look yeah. at, for people who are considering doing these kind of acts, um, yeah. you know, if anything, this just highlights how dangerous it is, like and the potential, you know, serious consequences. I know you said that you weren't injured, but like you are in shock and you're out of work now for a few days and your car has yeah. to be repaired and you have no car. All because somebody wanted to have a laugh. It just doesn't seem fair, does it? No. And, you know, as I was just thinking then, you know, where I was, it's a pedestrian, you know, when you're, you can walk past that entrance and exit. Mm. I'm just thinking like, because I, as I said, I completely went into shock. I don't even remember stopping, but obviously I, you know, stopped the car, put up the handbrake straight away. But if I had have swerved or just not stopped or panicked or something, like mm. I really could have hit someone. Or even if the, you know, that flower hit a different, it could have hit someone, it could have fell onto someone. Yeah. And, you know, if it did that damage into me at the windscreen, like just if it was a person, it's actually just so scary. I know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As you say, I mean, like you could have crashed the car into somebody or somebody could have been hit on the head by that bag of flour yeah. and the power of that, you know, mm-hmm. coming from yeah. such a height, it doesn't bear thinking about, does it? I know. My God. Uh, will you be, like, would you feel comfortable about coming into, by driving into town again now after this? I actually don't know. Mm. Um, I don't know how I'll feel. I haven't obviously joked and we'll see, like, I... As I said, that's it. You're just what, driving down Grand Parade. I wasn't anywhere. You know, it's just driving to town. Mm. I work near town, so I just wouldn't expect that to happen. So mm. I could imagine I probably will be, you know, anxious about it, but I, I don't know yet. Yeah. Well, hopefully... you think it would happen, you know. I know, yeah. And hopefully yeah. it won't put you off. Hopefully, know. you know, you'll have some rest and you'll get back to yourself. And I think, like, you know, just try and get back into the car and, and, and get back into town and you know um, you can't let this put put you off doing what what you like to do you know every day I know yeah yeah I know listen thank you for taking the time to talk to me and I'm glad you're not seriously injured and I hope that uh, you know everything works out for you and that you. you're going to be okay 
Thank you so much. Kim, <laughs> okay. Isn't it a sorry state of affairs that you can't drive your car into town safely without something like this happening? Um, Councillor McNugent has been in touch to say, my heart goes out to her, it was reckless and stupid. And it was, Councillor McNugent, it really was reckless and stupid. And I don't think that people who um, did this act of throwing the flower, maybe they just didn't realise the potential consequences that it was going to have. But as Kim said, she could have easily crashed into somebody who was walking past or crashed into another car. It could have had much more serious consequences and I really think people need to think before they act um, what do you think yourselves I mean like is it do you feel safe going into town with this kind of stuff happening um, is it you know what like what do we do how do we stop this or can we stop things like this from happening I know that this was one incident that we know of but are there more incidents like this happening around the city let us know 0818 96 96 96 0833 96 96 96 this August Bank Holiday Weekend, we're all about indie. We're all about indie. Feels pretty good. Corks 96 FM is live from Independence Music and Arts Festival. Across Friday, Saturday and Sunday. How you doing? Stay listening and follow our socials for updates and highlights from Independence all weekend. Are you ready, are you ready for the summer? We're live and loud from Indy 22. 22. Let's have a good time. Friday at 4 p.m. on Quartz 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Before the break there, I was talking to Kim, who was driving into the Grand Parade car park the other night, and somebody threw a two-kilogram bag of flour from a height uh, onto her car, and it hit her windscreen, and it shattered her windscreen, and some of the glass came in on top of her, and she was really shaken by what happened, and she said herself, you know, she's out of work now for a couple of days because of the shock. She has no car. She has to get the windscreen repaired. And she says it could have been a hell of a lot worse because she could have hit somebody. Um, and I was asking how people feel about things like this. You know, she was saying that she's afraid to to go into town again at the minute and she's not sure whether she'll be able to go back in again. And a caller has been in touch to say, hi Fiona, my teenage daughters got egged while out for a walk last week. They were out walking on a small country road and a car pulled up beside them and started shouting and fired all the eggs at them. I don't know what kind of kick you'd get out of that. You'd wonder what kind of place you live in at all, that there are people around you who would do something like that. Thank you very much for getting in touch with us, caller, about that. And I hope your teenage daughters are okay. It is. It's shocking. I mean, if you can't even go out for a walk in your locality and, you know, something like that happens, and I'm sure that the girls, even though they're they're okay, they'll probably be a bit shaken for a while. And if there's any kind of sudden movement behind them, they'd be frightened. And I know how horrible it is to have have eggs like we had eggs thrown at our front door at Halloween and trying to get that stain off was just um, awful so you know I mean like people are doing these kind of things just for kicks and I really don't know I just don't understand it um, let us know what you think 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 now, the uh, farmers are being asked to reduce carbon emissions by 25% by 2030 in a bid to um, to, to save the climate. And um, the, the IFA says it's a bad day for farming. Peter Hines, you're a local farmer here in Cork. Good morning, Peter. 
Good morning, Fiona. How are you keeping? I'm well, I'm well. The IFA is saying it's a bad day for farming, Peter. Uh, why is it going to be so difficult for farmers to reach this target of 25% by 2030? <laughs> I question whether it's a bad day for farming from the point of view, Fiona, and I think we will have all have seen it, that Irish agriculture has been dragged through the gutter Mm. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, and 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 I think the argument has been a disgrace the way it's it's, it's been put across publicly. Uh, in actual fact, I'd welcome an agreement from the ministers yesterday that they finally reached agreement that we know where we need to go. That now we can sit down and look at what opportunities are being presented to us. Mm. Uh, and I think it would have been a massive mistake not to have reached that agreement. Uh, this week and, and push it out till the autumn. I think it would have just created havoc uh, for for two. I guess uh, uh, I don't like to say with the the word warring factions, yeah. but ultimately that's what the way it is seen that an uh, anti livestock farming versus Irish agriculture in the last two weeks it has become really nasty. Um, so do, do you I think, think it is we possible can achieve? Then? Yeah, do you think that you, it is possible uh, to achieve this? Look, as a farmer, I always remain positive. Yes, I do think that we can achieve it. No, I think the time frame is tight in mm. that, look, we're, we're, by the time we get to, get through all the nitty gritty of this and, and it's presented to farm organisations, I think it's going to be, you know, we're, we're going to see the end of the year and, and, uh, and a lot of things in it. The research isn't fully completed yet. Um, feed additives for argument's sake I mean look at they will come on stream later in the year we have to look at the cost effectiveness of them versus how much they are going to reduce emissions they're saying they can reduce methane output by 30% in cows that research has been proven all over the world it's it's nothing new but it had to be licensed for use in Ireland Um, Mm. so I think that's going to be a, a key thing for us I would say yes look we need to knuckle down. We need to do everything we can to hit that 25% target. And let's let's be realistic here. Look, you know, 2030 isn't that far away. But come 2030, we're going to have a hell of a lot more work to do to 2050. And every industry is going to have to do that. But I think the public need to keep in context what we have been doing. Mm. But also some of the information that's been portrayed to them in that, I mean, look, 2018 was the base year right? mm. uh, for for climate for th- that we'll be working off of. So in the last uh, decade here, we've reduced our emissions through genetic gain by 10%. Do I think we I can do another 10% on genetic gain in the next by 2030 yes I firmly believe I do and that research has been clearly proven Mm. we have the world's leading grassland uh, dairy research centre down in Moor Park in Fermoy and they're working tirelessly probably the biggest stumbling block for for them is that research costs a phenomenal amount of money and they're not always given the budget to tackle the areas that we need as farmers, you know, be it carbon sequestration and, you know, even the methane research uh, that's going on down there at the moment. At the moment, the research is suggesting that the figures that we are being I suppose targeted with or branded with or that we have to work off of mm. are overestimated by 18 to 20%, you know, so that research has to, has to be completed and it has to be validated. 
And when we get that, then we get a more accurate figure of what methane Irish dairy cows have actually been producing. Yeah. But you know, going back what, what, to that figure, you know, the fact that we're at the moment we're working off of a figure that's overestimated by twenty percent. You know, it, the public need to take that into in, into consideration. Further to that, I mean, if you look at fertilizer usage. We since 2018 we've reduced our emissions by just shy of nine percent by changing the fertilizer we use on the farm. So we've we've done that, but then you need to bring that back into context that the ag industry and the industry as a whole and and, and policymakers need to get behind farming because you know my emissions from fertilizer on farm this year mm. they will have gone up, not through my fault. I wasn't able to to purchase the fertilizer that was required it wasn't available on the market at the start of the year so we had to switch back to an old product that has higher emissions you know did i want to do that no had I a choice I, I had absolutely no choice to do that so i was driving up my emissions this year by not being able to do it likewise we're being told to include clover in in grassland swards a lot of farmers have been doing it we've been doing it here with a number of years we increased uh, we set, stitched 10% of the farm uh, with clover again this year no the challenge there for me as a farmer is that there is only one product on the market that is safe for spraying a sward after you put clover into it uh, and that product isn't available year to year. It's currently on a moratorium with the Department of Agriculture. So our derogations, so we can use it this year. There's no guarantee we can use it next mm. year. The product is extremely hard to sow to get because importers of the products, you know, they don't know if they can sell the product next year, so they're not going to buy forward purchase it. So you know, it it, it needs buy-in from the industry, and, yeah. and I think you know, every everybody is kind of in the last couple of weeks have been saying, you know, farmers need to do this and farmers need to do that. I think we need to get away from what farmers need to do. Farmers embrace science, embrace research. You know, we've been doing it. We're going to constantly Peter, evolve. That because of the shortage of fertilizer and the rise in fuel costs, that farmers will be tempted to maybe try and grow different crops that are easier to grow for example maybe more grain less vegetables something like that well they, I mean no matter what way you farm you're going to have challenges mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if you, you'll have seen it but uh, I mean recently there was a lot of data sent out from uh, the EU on Irish pesticides Irish Pesticide use is higher than anywhere in Europe. Now you need to keep that figure in context again in that pesticide use actually what comes under that banner is wood preservatives, be it at, 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 at uh, mills, also in the building sector, any pesticides that are used for food storage, say in warehouses where where product is bought in from foreign countries and that you need to use pesticides to, to control any pest that would come into the, that warehousing, etc. So it's not only farmers that are using those pesticides, mm -hmm. but likewise, if you look at the climate we have here, is it an ideal grain growing climate? No, it's not. We need to use pesticides because we have a damp, humid, warm climate. And you know, if you're not going to control pests, then you're, you're going to have uh, lower yields, which isn't profitable. And likewise, if you grow grain, you need fertilizer. And actually, in fact, you, you know, 
grain farmers, and, and this is no reflection on them, but they, they, they would require at the moment fertilizer that does produce a higher amount of emissions than grass-based livestock. So, and that's because products haven't been designed and made available to them where they can reduce fertilizer emissions as easily. So is grain a solution? No, it isn't. Uh, is vegetables a solution? Is organic farming a solution? Organic farming certainly mm. isn't a solution uh, from the point of view that it's not profitable at the moment. Dairy, organic dairy farmers are really struggling because the feed prices for organic dairy feed are eight nine hundred euros a ton, so it's over double the price of what I have to pay for double for for, for dairy ration. Yet my milk price has come a lot more, uh, come closer to what the organic producers are making. So I would have a better margin than an organic dairy farmer. And, and are the markets developed? P- no. um, Peter, like we we're seeing very considerable protests by farmers in the Netherlands. Is that something that we could see here? Uh, Are we going to have farmers taken to the to the streets? Will there be more tractor protests like we had? Do I think we will get to the this the scale of what mm. uh, the Dutch protests yeah. have become? No, I think unity has been really divided in this country, and I think the public have have been to some extent a fraction has tried to pitch the the consumer and the public against. Irish farming, and uh, so I don't think I don't think we could go to that level unless you have the public behind you. The Dutch really communicated that well in the agricultural sector to the to the consumer, to the public, and they had the public behind them. Uh, and I think they're hundred percent right. And 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 the Dutch are very very efficient. They're very innovative farmers. They're a step ahead of us. I mean. Uh, for us, uh, uh, you know, I, I see what Minister Ryan uh, ha, has been proposing in the last few weeks and even what has come out last night. And, you know, to say that we're going to start building anaerobic digesters here to to, to use methane and that is, that is going to be a huge help to the ag industry will make no mistake. I'm not going to get the credit uh, for uh, for an anaerobic digester. The, the carbon credits for that are going to go into the energy industry. So that's of no help to farm. But the other side of it is, I mean, that's that's a good 10 years old. We should have been at that level 10 years ago with anaerobic digesters. You can't you couldn't get planning in this in this country for them uh, in the vast majority of places. Like likewise, when you look at solar energy, do I want to put solar panels on all my all our dairy buildings? I believe they should be there. I believe the policy should reflect that already. I could put 120,000 euro into solar panels tomorrow morning. Will the farm get credit from it from a, a, a climate perspective? No, it won't. Again, that will go into the the energy industry. And, you know, if you see what policy is doing in Ireland, you know, there was a big media campaign a couple of months ago where the Green Party were present uh, celebrating how a, a solar-powered uh, grassland farm had been started up up the country. Yet Chinese policy has got has actually banned mm. putting solar panels on farmland because farmland is needed for food production. And if you want to put solar panels up in China, you now have to put them on buildings. So that's the way we need to be going. But you know, pol- policy is the biggest stumbling block for any farmer in this country on how we can reduce emissions and. 
off the back of that, then again, it's it's funding and not not, not handouts to farmers. I'm talking about uh, you know serious serious investment in research. I mean, we, we for a long time have credited ourselves as one of the leading countries for science and research in this country, and why we're fighting over uh, methane production and emissions mm. from one of the most you know, sustainable food production systems in the world is beyond me. I Peter, think like the Munster everybody... chairman of the IFA, Harold Kingston, has said that a lot of farmers now um, are going to be wondering whether or not to continue farming on a full-time basis or cut down their farming completely. Do you think that farmers now are going to be tempted into industries that are less hassle? Um... I think it's. I think the challenge has always been to get younger people into farming. Thank you yourself. Uh, you have of a daughter who yeah. has spoken on this show and to me as well before about how she wants to get into farming. But like, is there a future for her in there? I think there's always going to be a future, and uh, and I think you know uh, the respect that Irish agricultural produce and Irish dairy produce gets on the global market is phenomenal, and it, and it's a product that is. You know, sought after all over the world, and and I think there's always going to be a huge place uh, for that level of food production, especially when other countries are looking to source more sustainably produced food. Um, I think the uncertainty is maybe going to going to be a challenge for the the young generation in that you know where are we going with this, and 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 where are farmers going to be. Uh, Sorry, I'm just moving my jeep now. You're okay. Uh, where, where the farming has to continue. <laughs> it does, but where where are we going to be in in 2030? I mean, are we going to be? Are we going to let science and research get us to 2030, or is it going to be continually be a concept that we need to reduce? livestock numbers in Ireland when you see the likes of, of Brazil you know, with a target of increasing their livestock numbers by 30 million head by 2030. So you know, for us to drop two to 300,000 animals certainly isn't, isn't going to save the planet and, and our food production system is going to be moved to a, a less sustainable country. So I think we need certainty and I think, look, we can all argue whether it should have been 22% or 30%. I think we have a figure to work off of. Mm. I would certainly hope that the finer detail of what comes out, to that, out of that agreement is not going to hurt farmers. Am I going to plant trees tomorrow morning uh, and reduce my livestock numbers to save the planet? Well, unfortunately, and you see, you've been on our farm, Fiona, yeah. you see the thousands of mature trees that we have on the farm here as it stands. I don't get carbon credits for those trees. So what incentive is there for me to go and plant another 20 acres of trees? There's absolutely no incentive. And I think until, the, until we deal with the real facts of the carbon we sequester uh, and and really to our, our grass-based system. Ultimately, research has proven, and and especially in the US, that intensively grazed swards that are really, really well-managed sequester a lot more carbon than rewilded areas because the grass is taking, you know, the photosynthesis process is taking yeah. carbon out of the atmosphere. So the cows are recycling that the, the, the whole time. And I think, you know, that's the sort of figures we need to work off of. But I think we, you know, the public don't need to be 
preached that farming is going to do a lot better by yeah. producing a premium product, etc. I'm very sorry, but we actually produce a premium product and we have been doing that in this country for a long time. We've carried gold butter, you know, one of the leading brands in the US, same in Germany, you know, huge exports all, all over the world. We produce 10% of the world's baby formula. So we have those premium products. We are selling them, but ultimately, you know, what dictates the price that a farmer gets in, in, in his paycheck for beef, for dairy, the global market? And you can have all the premium products in the world, but if the global market is at a certain level, that is what you get paid inside the in, inside the farm gate. And I think everything and absolutely everything the consumer is listening to at the moment from both sides, and I'm not just blaming the, the anti-ag lo- lobby. I, I, I've seen a lot of... you. Know, a lot of poorly communicated information from the agricultural sector at times in the last couple of weeks. The public need to step back and look at what the real research is and okay. understand that we are innovators as farmers, You know that we do produce a highly sustainable product. And I think ultimately, I think whether it's 24%, 28%, and, and we have a figure now at 25, look, we need to get our heads down, we need to stop the warring, we need to f- get on with it, and, and, and lobby groups, politicians need to, excuse the French here now, but put the crap aside, give us what we're going to, what we need to do on farm, and let us get on with it, because seven years in is, is an extremely short time, and if we don't start knuckling down, the, neither the ag sector, the transport sector, the energy sector, nobody is going to meet a 2030 target unless this country gets real about attack, about reducing emissions in all sectors. Okay, Peter, thank you so much. That's local farmer here in Cork, Peter Hines. This country needs to get real on emissions. Do you agree with what Peter said there? Let us know. 0818969696083396969696. Earlier on this morning, I was speaking to Kim, who was driving into the Grand Parade, and her car was... Um, well the the windscreen was shattered when somebody threw a bag of flour from a height and it hit her and I was asking people if anything similar had happened to them if they feel safe driving around Um, and Kathleen has been in touch to say stones and bottles were thrown at my car in Hollyhill on two different occasions. Both times the windscreen smashed. My biggest fear was I could have swerved and killed someone at the garage. This is all too common. Thank you Kathleen and I'm glad you uh, were Okay, and it's the same point, Kathleen, that Kim was making. She was saying that she could have easily, um, you know, she thankfully she had the the sense to pull up the handbrake, but she said she could have easily ploughed into somebody and, and killed them. And I think that's the point that you were making as well. And you know, people just really need to be aware of the consequences that they have, uh, that these kind of actions have. It's it's not safe. I know that people think it's probably funny, but. Um, it can have really, really serious consequences. Um, also, Ken Grandin of Grandin's Toyota in Cork has been in touch to say he has offered a car to Kim while hers is off the road. Thank you so much for that, Ken. The people of Cork really, I know we're pointing out some of the bad points there, but you know, the people of Cork are so good um, when it comes to things like this. And thank you to um, Ken of Grandin's Toyota in Cork. Also, yesterday we were talking about um, the NCT delays um, 
I was reading out um, an article that said um, it's been confirmed by the RSA that anybody who can't get an NCT test that they uh, and, and were worried that they may be fined if they get caught by the Gardaí that um, the guards now will look favourably on it if you have evidence that you have um, applied for your test and Dennis has been in touch to say the NCT should be declared not fit for purpose. Let the local garages do an MOT on cars. People are being fined for missing NCT appointments because of other commitments which come up suddenly due to those appointments being booked so far ahead. And that's true, Dennis. You know, we've had people on the show here saying that they've had to book their NCT six months in advance. And sure, none of us know what we're going to be doing in six months. Let us know. Do you agree with Dennis? 0818969696. Now, some good news for Don O'Leary of the Life Centre. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. Don, you're after being awarded uh, this year's Mother Jones Award. Congratulations. Well, thanks, Fiona. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, that was, it's, it's a surprise, I suppose. But look, I, I think the other thing is, and I hope that this is not just me, it's uh, it's the, the life side of community above, because, you know, if you look at the award and what they're, they're giving it for, it, it cannot be done alone, you know, so... Yeah. My staff, the the students, the parents of the community, um, yeah, you know, I think it's a it, it's a lovely award. It's kind of a it's for me. It's um, it, it's probably up there with, with any award because it's community based. Yeah, um, well, uh, I, and I think Don, you're the first Corkman to be awarded this award in the Mother Jones Festival's ten year history. Yes, that's true. I mean, there have been some fabulous people, but it has tended to be, mm. and you can understand the way and why it's important. It has tended to be women. I mean, it, um, Mary Manning, the um, the woman that led the the, the anti-apartheid strike in Duns in Dublin, has been a receiver. Anne Scargill, um, one of the women, uh, Arthur Scargill's mm. wife during the minor strike. Um, there have been a number of people from abroad, and I mean, even today. And the 2020 award is being given to um, the families of the Stardust victims, and and that's some that's some company to be getting an award. Yeah. You know, when you look at what these people have achieved in their lifetimes, it's it's just phenomenal. And it, uh, from the very aspect, it's it's a. It's you know it's an honour and it's very humbling to be receiving a award like that. Brilliant. And Don, how are you? I know that you've spoken out before about your health. How are you feeling now? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm good. You know, I still, I, I've actually uh, managed to get away for a week. I mean, carry with the grandkids. This I have. Oh, very well. Your grand, but but I tell you, it's um, for me. I'm still attending work. Um, I, I'm, I haven't missed a day. Uh, everything is going well in that I'm able to do everything I want to be doing, mm. um, and I, it hasn't made me slow down, which is great. You know, I mean, everyone's is different. But for me, you know, even the chemotherapy, when I go in for the chemotherapy, I, I get it done and I'm out. I go in at 8 o'clock in the morning and 11 o'clock I'm sitting at the office desk. And, and you know, it, it's been just a, um, a strange experience because you expect all of these things um, to happen and maybe not to be able to do what you want to do. And I'm okay where I think they've always said that, and I still am, you know. But the fact that I'm able to do, you know, um, I was given 8 to 11 months <laughs> in November 2020, um, someone can't count. And you're, glad about that. <laughs> you're still fighting strong. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose, look, again, you know, I, I acknowledge the Department of Education uh, for the fact that they helped keep me alive because they still haven't, you know, they still haven't managed 
uh, to get rid of their old, uh, their old ideas. And I'm still fighting for staff 20 years later. Not wouldn't it be great in 20 years' time if I was still doing it. <laughs> However, I don't, I don't think so. But we would so. hope that you would have enough staff in 20 years' time, Don. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely. Well, I would definitely hope the staff that I have get paid. Yeah. Um, and look, yeah, I mean, you know, I can understand the award from that aspect because... They're they're brilliant. I mean, to be putting up with me, I'm bad enough to put up with when I when 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 I'm with nothing happening. To be when I have cancer, I must be enough and like all together. Well, the grandkids tell me that anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I'm well, you know, done. Look, and I, if we, we can say to people more, it's on the Maldrin, but there's loads of things on this festival, and mm. because it is, um, you know, even all through today, there there's there's conversations happening. There's um, there's, uh, I think Jimmy Crowley and and, and others are, are are putting on performances day today, mm. and it's just a fabulous, fabulous community. It is, um, and it's great to be honouring a woman who has the stature of Mother Jones, who is still as important today as she was all those years ago when she went in. Surprising thing, she mm-hmm. one union she was very close to, uh, the Pennsylvania mine, uh, mine workers, they are on strike at the moment as we speak for the same. For the same reasons, they were in a strike when she was involved with them at the, yeah. uh, all those years ago, over 100 years ago. Well, Don, you've been a good friend of the show and we felt we had to say congratulations to you on being the first Cork person to win the award and it's well-deserved and go and enjoy your break and carry with the family. That's Don O'Leary of the Cork Life Centre. Now, I know the forecast isn't great, I don't think, this weekend, but if you get a chance to sit outside in your back garden, don't forget that Cork's 96FM's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, is back. And we're streaming the biggest hits from this summer's headline acts with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Listen on our app or go to 96FM.ie. And one major festival that is happening this weekend in Cork is, of course, Independence in Mitchellstown. And I will be going live to um, the site later on in the show where we'll be finding out what's happening. But one thing that is happening this year is Safe Gigs Ireland, which is um, which involves representatives going around and talking to people at the festival on how they can stay safe. And I think there were three festivals included in the, in the campaign this year and Independence is one of them. And joining me now to talk about the campaign is Director of the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork, Mary Crilly. Good morning, Mary. Morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. Mary, what way is the Safe Gigs Ireland campaign going to operate now at um, Independence? Okay, this started like a couple of years ago as kind of Ask for Angela campaign in pubs and venues where people felt uncomfortable or needed some kind of support. They just go to the somebody working there and say, is Angela around? Mm. Now, other people approached us, musicians and others, kind of saying that doesn't go far enough because we work at different venues where we might have difficulty with a fellow musician or, you know, a punter or somebody there who's... Um, doing stuff that we can't tolerate. So then we looked around the UK and Europe and saw campaigns like Safe Gigs. So we decided then to bring up our own campaign called Safe Gigs Ireland. And we worked with organisations in the UK to see what best practice was. So basically what we are, we will, we'll be there. We'll have a tent. We'll have a number of volunteers. Um, we'll have basic things for people, like plug your phone in somewhere, because sometimes I find young people get stuck, it doesn't dawn on them. Mm. If you keep using your phone, then the battery will go down. We were a place I found in Longitude where we went, where people came and got lost, but a lot of people came over just to say maybe what happened to their friend or different things they just wanted to talk about. It wasn't a place now, and I don't think it's a 
I wouldn't say it's a, the place for people to come in and tell their own story yeah. and be that vulnerable, but it is a place where they very often will come up and ask questions and what's this about and, you know, just chat away. So I think we're just planting a seed. You know, we're aware that we're not going to change a huge amount, but the best thing about it is that um, the festival itself asked us to be part of it. So we're not just there hiring a tent and being there. Mm. We're part of the festival, which is great. And obviously, Mary, a lot of people are going to be going to this festival. And for some people, it might be their first time going to a festival because, of course, we've had nothing over the last couple of years. What advice would you give to people to stay safe? I think you just get overwhelmed. I think initially just to take a few deep breaths and wander around and get your bearings and make sure to keep with your friends and just, you know, walk around the place, see what's happening. Um... Because that's what I found in Longitude that a lot of people who we came across were just overwhelmed by the amount of people there and mm. they weren't used to it and they weren't expected. And then all of a sudden you're like a small fish in a huge pond and, you know, that happens. So I think it's like common sense as well. It's like look after your friend. It yeah. really is all the time. And I think as well, it's important to have a meeting point, isn't it? To say, you know, if if anybody gets lost, because I think as even you were talking there about the phones not being plugged in, but sometimes because there's so many people using their phones, it could take a while for messages to get through. So if you have a point where meet, people can meet, it's always a good idea. And I know, you know, in all the festivals, they will have a big sign meeting point, but I don't mm. think the kids even see that. So we will be used as a meeting point. We'll be used as kind of, look, come over here for any of your needs and we'll see what we can do. And I think there's also, which I think is great, I think the, the HSE are also there with a, a drug awareness campaign or reduce the harm campaign, which would be good as well, because yeah. I, I know long to it, we were really the only organisation there. But I think the more organisations that were there, the more people will come to you, the more they'll get information about what's happening. Did you find at Longitude, I know you said that some people came up to you and they were saying they were overwhelmed by the amount of people there. Like, was there a good response at Longitude? There was a lovely response because, I mean, overall, you know, you have these 15, 16-year-olds and, you know, 99% of them are just lovely. Mm. There's a few that are really, you know, that you couldn't tolerate and tolerate their behaviour, but uh, they were lovely. I mean, they really were. It was like kind of, I think, for that age group, a rite of passage. I mean, I was kind of overwhelmed being in the middle of nearly 40,000 15-year-olds mm. like at my age, but <laughs> uh, they were. They were pets. They really were, you know. Before and I, I think it's always to kick on me being there because, <laughs> I, because I was of the age I'm at, you know. Yeah. So it's nearly like come over and talk to your grandmother, you know. <laughs> but you're doing amazing work, Mary, and you always do, and it's great. But before I let you go, I know that there's been a couple of high-profile cases in the news this week involving um, people, men who were jailed for coercive control. And I suppose the, the women involved in those cases who who you know went through the whole court system and um you know they, they need to be congratulated for their bravery really don't they and i suppose it's a good message to other people who may be victims of coercive oh, absolutely control. but i think especially you know where you come across somebody who say i'm not reporting because um the guy is doing to me as a guard or his sister or his politician or he's very well known and women still have a fear that if somebody's well known well then they won't get justice you know that's things will be covered up. So I think that woman coming out, especially um, who was abused by the guard, I think she's mm -hmm. phenomenal. And I think she doesn't realise the impact, I think, that's rippling through and that she's had for people just to come out and say, this is what happened. It wasn't my fault. And, you know, the support she said she got from the guards is really good. So people need to hear that. They really need to hear that, that they matter. And would you encourage people to come forward if they do find themselves in such a situation? 
Absolutely. If they're able to come forward, like, I mean, there's a, a lot of people who won't be able to come forward, but I would encourage them to come forward and encourage them even to speak to somebody in the protective services unit in all the main guard stations because they'll talk through with them and then take it from there. I would encourage them to take that step because then they can make a decision one way or the other instead of wondering, will I, won't I, will I, won't I? And it takes the fear away from it and then it helps them move on in some kind of way, whether that's moving on to report or moving on not to report. I think I think the protective service units are very good and they are very supportive and they will take time with the person to work out different options. Okay. Mary, thank you for taking the time to talk to me this morning. You're heading off to Mitchellstown there now, yeah? I'm on the way now, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, enjoy. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. All I'll right. let you know. Do, do. Okay, take care. That's Mary Crilly of the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork talking about Safe Gigs Ireland, which is going to be present at the Independence Festival in Mitchellstown across the weekend. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 966. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 996 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I spotted something during the week and I wanted to get your opinion on this. The actress Alicia Silverstone was speaking to the Ellen Fisher podcast and she revealed that she and her 11 year old son Blue Bear still sleep in the same bed she joked that she'd be in trouble with mom shamers for her unique parenting techniques but she added that she doesn't care and she said that her parenting she's described as natural and she is a loving mama and I've no doubt at all that she is a loving mama Um, but child psychologists have come out and have criticised her for sharing the bed with her son and they say that um, it's irresponsible and that um, it's going to create boundary issues for the child and they say that um, that that one of one of the things that I spotted that kind of really caught my eye was that um, she was that uh, one child's parenting expert and psychologist said that uh, she should have stopped when Bear was five Um, and I wanted to know what you think do you think that um, it's a good idea to have your children sleeping in the same bed as you I know I have a five-year-old who now she doesn't go to bed with us but she often climbs into the bed in the middle of the night and pushes me out but um, I wanted to know what our listeners on the opinion line think to this do you think that Alicia Silverstone is right do you think it's anybody else's business let us know 0818 96 96 96 or you can text us or whatsapp 083 96 96 96 now we're coming towards the end of Love Island the final is going to be on Monday and joining me now to talk about Love Island and indeed the final of Neighbours is the Irish Sun um, pop culture correspondent Elsa McAvoy. Good morning Elsa. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. Elsa, the final of Love Island, it seems like it has taken over people's lives for the last uh, couple of months and we're here at the end. Um, Obviously there's a lot of talk around who's going to win. Who do you think is likely to win the show this year? 
Um, well, my favourites have been Dami and India so far throughout kind of the show. I mean, they've had their little roller coaster and stuff, but so has pretty much every couple in there now at this stage, bar Luke and Gemma. Mm. But from what I'm seeing from viewers and fan reaction is that Ekansu and Davide are favourites at the minute. Yeah, like why are they so popular? Because they, is it just because they've got such a, a stormy relationship? Yeah, they're just good telly. Ekansu is uh, very passionate. She's very dramatic and she's very switched on. And then Davide kind of meets her passion like they're they're very fiery together. But then on the other hand, like yesterday, they had their final date and it was really emotional. And they were, you know, like getting on so well. But then so the highs are really high and then the fights are really, you know, fiery. So I think people love to see it and people kind of love to see the, the rawness of them. So do you think that there is a real chemistry there between them? Um, like that it's not just all for show and it's not just all for the cameras and, um, you know, that they're obviously hoping to win the show and that it's all put on. Do you think that there is a real bond there? Yeah, I mean, it's always the question, like what happens when the cameras aren't rolling? But I, I do think there is the way they were kind of looking at each other yesterday and getting emotional I just don't know if that can be faked as well mm. as that. So I'd like to think that they're they're good together. And sure, Ekansu seems to be head over heels and talking about kids and stuff already. So <laughs> you know, I hope I hope they do. I hope they do kind of carry it on when they get out. Uh, do you think? Um, like, there's always the question at the end that the winning couple will get the the fifty grand, and then um, they make the decision whether or not to share it. Do you think that if they win? Because I see a lot of people saying that Ekansu is going to take the money if she wins. Do you think she will? Uh, no I don't know I don't think she will I, I honestly don't I mean from what I've seen in the villa she's been the most kind of supportive girl and she's mad about Davide so I, I don't know I don't think so I think what I saw was that before she went in if she didn't find a proper connection she would kind of just take the money for herself and would have no qualms about it but I mean I don't like it'd be good telly if she did but I don't, I don't think she will <laughs> Has anybody ever taken the money for themselves? Not that I can think of. No, I mean there was there was um, when Amber and Greg won back in 2019. He was only in the villa for two weeks, so there was a bit like he could. You know, they don't know each other that well. Yeah. But um, <laughs> no, I think it'd be awful bad form if, if they were like, no, it's mine. <laughs> you mentioned Greg. Greg O'Shea, of course, was the Irish contestant back in was that 2019, 2020. Um, yeah. and, and you were saying there that your favourite is Dami in India. Do you think that Dami is going to be destined for? stardom when he comes out and comes back here to Irish shores oh definitely I mean anytime there's an Irish person on Love Island I mean they've gone and done us proud I think about Maura Higgins Greg O'Shea Yuan De Biala like mm. they're, they're always um, they're always good natured and polite and they always kind of do us proud and Dami has done like he's he's a good lad and I think they're you know I think he'd be good to work with and uh, he's talking about moving to London to be with India now I don't know how true that is or if that would just be good for opportunities for him but I reckon there'd be a big uh, I reckon there will be a big homecoming for him Do you think that they like you said that they're your favourite couple and I think everybody is expecting Ekansoon and Davide to win but do you think that um, Dami and India could surprise us all and, and scoop that top prize? Yeah I think so and I think as well um, I think Gemma and Luca like could have a big um, chance as well but no no more than Tasha and Andrew like it's kind of anybody's game at the minute we'll just kind of see the way people mm. vote um, but you know they're all really strong couples and 
they're they've all kind of come through <laughs> come through quite the journey together. So they have. you know, yeah, I think I do think there could be a surprise, and it'd be great for Damien India to win because it'd just be a bit of diversity as well within mm. within the Villa winners. Absolutely, and Elsa, um, the final is Monday, isn't it? It's that's when we're yes, Monday night. So I like, don't know what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think that, um, like, obviously, Love Island always throws surprises, and there's shock evictions, and um, at this stage now, there's not going to really be any shock, is it? It's just kind of the wind down, really, for the weekend. Yeah, it's the wind down, and I think they've been put through enough at this point. <laughs> um, but no, I think so. We'll see the final two dates. uh, yes tonight and I reckon the parents and families will come in and meet as well and then the big final will be on Monday so they'll have quite a ceremony and stuff with that but yeah it is it's the wind down now or Sunday Sunday maybe the parents will come in and then Monday will be the big final Elsa the Love Island series generally causes a lot of controversy every year that it's on what did you think of the series this year do you think that it was a good series do you think that it's kind of run its course now I think it was a good series this year. Like I enjoyed it, but I mean, nothing to me ever compares to 2019 when you had all the fiery girls kind of standing up for themselves. And there was a bit lacking of that this year. And I think now as well this year, everybody is hyper aware of all the cameras Mm. and all the things going on behind the scenes. So people are very much more aware that it's quite a, it's still a reality show, but it's very much, kind of not scripted but scene by scene you know that yeah. sort of way so I do yeah I do think it, it still has its its market and obviously loads of people are still watching it so I wouldn't say it's run its course but I think that they might need to do some things to shake it up maybe in the following years mm-hmm. I don't know what that would be but, I think um, though like with any reality nice TV show and especially with Love Island as you said there and particularly on social media like the contestants going in now know the reaction that they're getting from the public and you know that uh, stuff that's been said on social media whatever so there probably are going to be I know that there's going to be moments where people forget that they're on camera but um, you know like it's um, as you said they are going to be that little bit more hyper aware Yeah definitely and um, yeah just watching what they say and stuff but but that's yeah I, I would say that's kind of the, the whole point of it in, in a way mm. Like yeah. they can't kind of just come in and, and be and, and be um, crazy because they have rules and limits now. You know, that I think they're only allowed two drinks a day or um, things like that. So so mm. their mental health and stuff is protected so that if anything kind of escalates in terms of arguments or fights, like it's, it's just not what it used to be in, in season one or two. Yeah. And that's done purely to kind of protect them, their, their well-being. And, you know, I think people accept that and, and it's fair enough as well. So Love Island is coming to an end on Monday for this year. Also, um, I know that the final series is airing tonight, but I don't think it's airing um, on RTE until Monday is Neighbours. Um, a lot of people have followed neighbor, Neighbours for so, so many years and it's coming to an end. It's going to be an emotional ending, I think. Yeah, I think it's going to be very emotional, especially for people who have kind of watched it all the way through. But it has been on for 37 years now. So (laughs) I'd say, yeah, expect the tears, expect nostalgia, expect some familiar faces. I think um, Kylie Minogue is going to be back, Margot Robbie, uh, Jason Donovan. So it's going to be quite, but there'll still be drama, I'd say, of course, like it's still a soap. Yeah. But, I mean, um, when you mention some of those names, like Kylie and Jason and Margot Robbie and, you know, the careers that they've had since being in Neighbours are just phenomenal. Yeah, it just skyrocketed from there. But it's nice that they've kind of come back for the final and have have said, well, they, they, they're kind of showing by coming back that 
we remember where we came from kind of way. And, and I think it's so nice as well for viewers to be able to to kind of see that and, and see where their characters have ended up. It gives everyone just a sense of closure, which is which is really nice. I don't think you could ask any more of a soap that's been on for so long. I know, yeah. I mean, like, had it lost its appeal in the latter years, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think that they were trying to appeal to a younger audience or a, a new generation, but, you know, or the generation that aren't really watching uh, soaps as much now. So um, it's kind of a hard market. But then um, since they've announced that uh, they're doing a final episode, yeah. the viewership has kind of skyrocketed. So I wonder <laughs> I wonder now if they're kind of like, maybe we'll do a reunion or something, <laughs> you know, to keep it going while the, viewers are, while the viewers are there. Yeah, or maybe they'll do a Sex and the City on it and make a movie out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, there could be that as well. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on all things Love Island and Neighbours. That is Elsa McAvoy of the Irish Sun. Will you be watching the final of Love Island? Uh, what did you think of the series this year? Were you a to it or were you just um, you know doing reading it and kind of keeping up to speed on what was happening on social media uh, let us know what you thought of Love Island this year 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96 I was speaking earlier in the show to farmer Peter Hines about the targets that have been given to farmers to cut emissions by 25% by 2030 and um, Burr has been in touch to say morning Fiona what chance have we in Ireland when you've got um, countries the size of China, India, United States and the rest of the world's population Ireland is pin size in comparison to them. It is bare and I suppose every little counts doesn't it and we all have to try and and play our part in um, trying to reduce the emissions that um, you know are, are, are damaging the environment uh, but I, I do get your point there are so many other countries that are so large in comparison to what we are trying to do here but you know I suppose we have to, to be seen, Bert, we do in our part to save the world. Now, in a recent survey, just 5% of people say they received enough education about periods during their school days. 91% of people surveyed admitted to hiding period products when going to the bathroom in school and going into adult 76% still consciously tried to hide the products at work and in their shopping trolley. And joining me now to talk about this is Global Citizen Education Officer with Plan International Ireland, Ashley Westfelling. Good morning, Ashley. Hi, Fiona. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome and thank you for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Um, Ashley, first of all, how can we stop periods from being seen as taboo and something to hide in public? Because I was quite shocked that people would try and hide products in their shopping trolleys. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just something that is a bit of a holdover from maybe a couple generations ago that we feel like periods are embarrassing or gross, um, that there's something to be hidden. But unfortunately, that that kind of uh, language is being carried over to young people today as well, that girls and people who menstruate are still being told today there's something wrong with their bodies when they have their periods. There is the shame and stigma and taboo that is still in our society today. And shame and stigma is one of the trio that you talk about. Like Plan International Ireland say that they've worked to address the toxic trio of period injustice in Ireland. And as you mentioned, shame and stigma. What are the other two? Yeah, so when we speak about the toxic trio, we speak about the cost of period products, the unaffordability and lack of access that many girls in Ireland and across the world are struggling to cover the cost of their periods every month. 
And then also the lack of education about periods, as you spoke before, that people aren't being taught about how their bodies work. And a lot of people don't even know what to do when their period starts, which leads to a lot of like unnecessary stress for young people. Yeah, like are there teaching programs available that could be introduced for both girls and boys when they're in school? Absolutely. I'm glad you bring up that uh, boys should be part of this conversation as well, because I think, you know, that's definitely a a great solution. So there are education programs, but ideally, you know, we'd like to see this being mainstreamed across uh, all primary and secondary education, like you said, for, for all students, that these should be integrated classes that look at the biological, physical, emotional and social aspects of having periods. Are you seeing that change coming about? It is. Yeah, it's definitely it's happening slowly, but, you know, better, better than nothing that uh, the junior cycle reform on uh, relationship sexuality education, which also covers, you know, body changes and puberty. Uh, so that's recently been been released just in the past week, uh, the draft curriculum for that, which is great to see that periods are a big part of that and that it's approached in a really shame free way. Ashley, I know we were speaking on the show a couple of weeks back about periods and one man in particular messaged the show to say that his education came from watching his wife uh, go through this every month and it was his first real education. And I think he wasn't the only man. I know there are many, many men out there who um, say that their first real education around periods was from their wives and partners. What role can men play in removing the shame and stigma that you spoke about earlier? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, we all have a responsibility to play and men included and I think for, for women or people who menstruate, it might be talking about these things when they come up because, you know, as a lot of us know, it, it's unavoidable sometimes, you know, whether that's, you know, you're not feeling well because you have your period, you don't want to go swimming, you need extra products from the shop or something. Mm. So being comfortable talking about that. And then, of course, the role that men have to play is that being receptive to that and responding with compassion and, and not acting like it's gross or, yeah. you know, something to be ashamed of if that comes up, because it's just a part of our everyday lives. Ashley, you spoke about the um, the cost of period products. Um, like it's estimated that an average person spends 132 euro on sanitary products a year and that 85,000 people are at risk of period poverty. I mean, like 132 euro is a lot, especially nowadays when, um, you know, we hear so much talk about the cost of living and the cost of living going up. And particularly if you're a young person, either in college or, you know, just starting out and you've moved away from home and you may not have that kind of money so you know is there enough being done to address this uh you know I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because yeah a lot of people there's the term period poverty which t- is talked about a lot but I, I think it's important to point out that period poverty is inextricably linked to poverty and that's a problem across the world not just in Ireland um, but when you're experiencing poverty you're having to deal with how can you prioritize you might not be able to afford the essentials and so when we speak about period poverty we're saying that people don't have the money or the access to to get these essentials that they need, both from a healthcare perspective and from human dignity. Mm. So that's happening in Ireland, as you said, with the cost of living crisis. It's it's happening across the world. We see that there's a huge hunger crisis and a famine happening uh, across sub-Saharan Africa, and you can you can guarantee that there's going to be period poverty linked in that with as well. So there's been legislation introduced in Ireland for the free provision of period products and I think it's before the doll, uh, the Shannon now mm. um, so hopefully we would like to see that progressing and that period products are made free and accessible for all people in Ireland and ideally across the world 
And I think it's important to mention um, the group Riley. Um, and I know that our own reporter, Mairead Tuig, did a big feature on uh, period poverty and spoke to them. And she was awarded a Justice Media Award for it as well because they were talking about going around to various different schools and colleges and making sure that there were sanitary products in um, in the toilets for people to, to use. So, you know, they are doing tremendous work. But we need more of this, don't we? Oh, we absolutely do. And it's great to see. I I work in a lot of schools and universities, and it seems like it's happening. uh, A lot of significant changes happening with period products being more accessible. So maybe schools and universities, because young people often feel very strongly about this, that can be the first place where to start. But ideally, we'd like it to be carried over through all of society. I would love to go into every bar and restaurant and see, you know, period products available in their toilets there. Yeah, because I suppose, look, you know, um, people really should be understanding of of young people and, and what they're going through. Absolutely, you know, you're you're definitely right on that. It's something that you know is very commonplace, and it's happening all across the world for people who menstruate. So it's not nothing to be embarrassed about, but we need to make sure people get the essential products they need. We do indeed. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me on the Opinion Line this morning. That's Ashley Westfelling of Plan International Ireland and she is their Global Citizen Education Officer. Now, we were speaking earlier about uh, Kim's incident where she was driving into the Grand Parade car park and somebody threw a bag of flour on her windscreen and shattered it. And John O'Donovan has been in touch to say a lot of people are nervous about going into town, having had their confidence knocked by incidents they have experienced. No wonder the city is dying. Thank you, John. And we have heard from a lot of people over the last while that, you know, various different assaults or even assaults that they have witnessed. And it's left them a little bit um, shaken about coming into town and it's it's a horrible situation like our city is beautiful and it's a place that people should be able to go in and enjoy without fear and intimidation and the sooner this kind of carry on stops the better um, if anybody else feels the same as John do you feel safe going into town let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96 is the text or WhatsApp I was also asking for your opinions on whether or not um, you know it's right to have your children sharing a bed with you because Alicia Silverstone the actor had said in a podcast recently that her 11 year old son still sleeps in the same bed as her and child psychologists have been hitting out saying that it's not right and that um, you know that it should have stopped when the child was five and somebody has been in touch with us via WhatsApp to say I think we should mind our own business about how other parents interact with their children that's half the problem these days people stick their noses in business that doesn't concern them giving ill-informed opinions I don't listen to radio talk shows in general but caught your comment as I had tuned into the news well I hope that you st- stayed listening to us there um, listener and it is true I mean you know as a parent there's nothing more annoying than you know somebody telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing um, it's up to yourself really what you want to do um, but if anybody else out there feels the same way or you know if they'd like to tell us about their own experiences let let us know 0818969696 and the text or WhatsApp course is 0833969696. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. The Everyman Panto, in association with Cada Performing Arts, will see Cinderella and the usual zany gang return to cast a spell on children and make audiences of all ages believe in magic. Tickets go on sale from August 2nd. Access all 
areas. Sleeping Beauty comes to Cork Opera House this December as Cork's biggest panto returns for the Christmas season. Tickets are on sale now from the Opera House box office and also online at corkoperahouse.ie. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. With Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer. On Cork's 96FM. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, the video for Ed Sheeran's new song, For My Hand, has been rocking up millions of views on YouTube and the company behind that video hail all the way from Skibbereen in West Cork and that is Heritage. And I've been speaking to co-founder Gronya Dwyer. Gronya, you are the co-founder of the company Heritage and you guys got to shoot the video for Ed Sheeran's new song, For My Hand, and it's um, proving to be hugely popular, I think it's fair to say. So first of all, Gronya, how does it feel to be behind one of the videos of one of the biggest artists of, of the day? Yeah, Fiona, I think it was like a really surreal experience for us. Um I remember back in January when we had company plans and we were kind of making like these wish lists and manifestos and we really wanted to do a big music video this year and we were just so uh, lucky to get a bid in to see if we could pitch to do this music video. Hmm. Um, That's part of the music video process is usually the label will go out to look for directors and companies like mine to create the video Um, and it kind of just happened as part of like happenstance where Ed was shooting in Ireland or he was doing his gigs in Ireland and we had worked with Atlantic Records and a number of other music videos before for like Rudimental and some other big name artists Hmm. um, like Forrest Black in Canada. So we had a really good relationship with Atlantic Records in London and LA and um, we got the bid in and we said we have to do this and just for like multi-award winning Grammy winners we said this is something we'll put the kitchen sink on 
uh, and into and we shot it in April and we were just overjoyed to get it because it's such a big production not only for us as a company um, but I think for Ireland to get a, a kind of that level of calibre production into Ireland was was really really cool. It is and you worked with Berna Boy on the video. Yeah so it was a collaboration between Berna Boy and Ed Sheeran um, Ed is really well known for collaborating with kind of up and coming and artists from different genres of music and Berna Boy um, just released his album um, in the start of July and it's had massive success. He's been climbing the charts, he's had uh, billboard campaigns in Times Square. It, it scaled his album up to the, at least the top 10 in the UK, if not close to it in the US as well. Hmm. And it was a collaboration between the two of them. Um, and it was a kind of a, a video that we kind of had nearly like two really high performing artists in at the same time and it was just a really cool dynamic to have on set as well because you get the fanfare of of their their group and their management coming around with them their private jets flying them in (laughs) the planning the preparation the styling it's all like a really great process to be part of and they're both just absolute gents to work with honestly people say Ed and Bern are just lovely to work with and they are just like what people say you know he arrived in greeted both of them greeted all the crew thanked everyone um his partner was there with their little child as well so it was just a really relaxed cool set to be on a really cool one for all of our crew to have even that as as a credit as part of their own portfolios as well and where was the shot was it shot in cork or was it shot in dublin so it was shot in a studio in Dublin. Obviously, when you're working with big artists like that, discretion is key and security is key. So there's a lot of factors when you're filming a music video like that that you have to kind of consider. Hmm. Um, so we shot it in a quite a low profile studio in Dublin. We did one day of preparation beforehand. So we're like building a set, testing lights, making sure everything is smooth because artist time is so valuable. Yeah. And Ed was Ed was performing that evening in, in Dublin so everything had to be running like clockwork. Um, so we shot over one day in Dublin. We we the practicalities of that you usually shoot one artist first and the second and then the two together. Yeah, that's the format we did. And um, yeah, the the shoot was maybe kind of ten to eleven hours that day that we were shooting with both of them. And, you know, Gronje, you were saying there that it's a great, um, you know, it's great for Ireland to to know that uh, an Irish company was behind this video. And the video, as we were saying at the start, um, has had huge success. It's had over 17 million views in just over two weeks. Yeah. Which is like, can you even, <laughs> can you even get a, like a grasp of how big that is? Do you know, it's massive, isn't it? Yeah, like they are global, they're global superstars, you know, and there's so much of a fan base behind them both. Ed is on a tour at the moment. Berna is was doing a tour as well. So with that comes like great rewards and we've gotten so much um, publicity ourselves as a company out of it. And it's just been really great for our brand to be associated with this because even when we did the music video for Rudimental, that gave us a lot new pitches coming in. Mm. We've done music videos for Pillow Queens, as I said, Forest Black, Scratch, which is an Irish group, Jonas Sue, JC Stewart. So our portfolio is building. And once you do like a really big superstar type video like this, you're going to keep getting them in. So I'm excited to see what will come out of it. But yeah, it's a dream production for us because you know it's going to be successful. But there's obviously added pressure because they're such big 
stars mm. that everything has to be perfect and to a certain level. And um, do you come up so. with the ideas for the videos then or do they have the ideas or what way does it work? Yeah, so usually the label would um, look for directors to pitch in. So we have a portfolio of directors ourselves. But for this one, it came through a collaborator of ours, Marissa Garner. Um, she's a commissioner and a director's agent in London. Mm. So we've worked with her in a number of productions. She's like a veteran in the industry, working nearly 30 years in the music video industry in London and worldwide. And one of her directors, Troy Roscoe, is just an amazing young person from Manchester. He has just kind of grafted his way up through the industry, started off as a videographer and he works with like major artists like KSI, Ed Sheeran um, and Berna. And this was just a really incredible for production for him to be on. He's only, I think, like 27 or 28. And it was, I think, maybe like a real benchmark produ- production for him to direct. So what he would do as a director is come up with a storyboard to fit the album and fit the mood of the song. And the song is quite kind of, I suppose, sentimental and romantic, which is which is an unusual one for Berna and Ed to collaborate on. Hmm. So we we needed something that was achievable um, production wise to be shot in a day, but also would hit those kind of big impact pieces. So we decided, um, Troy decided to go into like VFX worlds and the VFX worlds then were created by this incredible company in the Ukraine called Beart. Um, so there was a team of um, VFX artists throughout Kiev and throughout Ukraine and people um, in their teams that were displaced in Poland. And they were working for about three, four weeks on the VFX worlds afterwards. So, yeah, the director would normally come up with the idea and it's then the artists would pick what idea they like. And that's usually the format of, of shooting music videos. And Gronia, you set up the company Heritage with your sister Fiona and uh, you set it up back in 2017. And how does a small company like that based in Skibbereen in West Cork end up working with global superstars such as Berna and Ed Sheeran? Yeah, I think, well, Fiona, yeah, we a lot of people think we're sisters we're actually cousins and more so friends but oh we sorry set up in, <laughs> yeah we set it up in 2017 uh, in, on international women's day and my background before this i was the ceo of the ludgate hub and mm. i had such great mentors like business kind of this was megastars in ireland that were mentors to me and i've kind of inherited from them through kind of the bold and brass way of just have been really um, ambitious in in i suppose goal setting and when we started the company, our first client was Super Value, which was like an amazing client to have as the first gig to get. And ever since then, I think starting a business outside the bubble of Dublin in West Cork, we had to be a, be a bit hungrier for the types of clients we had. So a lot of like, I suppose, companies in Dublin would have reoccurring clients and they work within kind of similar circles. So we've had to just out of necessity diversify our client base. So during COVID and everything, we managed to get 25% of our clients are in the US, maybe 20% are in the UK, another 25% of our work is in Europe, and the remainder is in Ireland. So just out of necessity, we moved outwards in the scale of of our clients. Um, So the people we work with are Microsoft, the Irish Examiner, the European Parliament, Cisco in LA, Bird in LA, beauty brands, and once you have some of those key clients on your on your roster, 
you attract similar type clients as well. So we've just been really always focusing on the quality of our work, delivering really good service, being really ambitious with the creative. Mm. So people come to us to look for something a bit spicy, a bit kind of more out there. And that's a really good place to be because we've never really done like sales drives. It's always been referrals for our work. So hopefully we're keeping our clients happy and um, our team happy as well. And Grania Heritage, it's a creative agency. So it's all videos that you do, is it? And where did that interest come from? Because you said that you set up, you were CEO of the Ludgate. So how do you go from, uh, you know, a business venture like that into something like shooting videos for music stars? Yeah, like I think just growing up in West Cork and, and seeing so much filmmaking happening around and I did a lot of the marketing for the Luggate Hub and managed to get like write-ups on like Forbes magazine and I knew I had a knack for some sort of storytelling Mm. so I I just wanted to venture into this that's what I did when I was a kid I used to write scripts and film them on a camcorder and in sequence I didn't know how to edit or do anything so I never went to like film school or anything but what I did have was the kind of the business background and relationship skills to build contacts and clients and the creative space is something myself and Fiona always wanted to work in. So it was kind of like a forced pivot into it, but we were backed by investment by the Ludgate Hub and that really helped our business scale and grow really quickly. And it's kind of it got us to those big clients, as you named there, much quicker than what we would have done alone because we had mm-hmm. mentorship from some of the Ludgate board as well. So I think that's where our interest came from. And kind of accidentally then we, because we didn't go to film school, we kind of came into it a bit blind to how male dominated the industry was. And I'd never realized that only 0.1% of creative agencies are owned by women, which is crazy when you think of half of Mm. advertising is, is for women, you know? Um, So what we've had to do in the last even since COVID is kind of diversify our business. So we were primarily doing video. And then when COVID hit, we realized we have to think of other ways to help our clients. So we diversified into radio ads, billboard campaigns, animation, graphic work, um, TV commercials. So we really had to pivot into like full scale, full service agency work. So far, it's attracted some really great clients for us over the last um, few years. Does it, do you think that it gives you a bit of an edge, the fact that there are very few female-led agencies, yet, as you said, a lot of the advertising is aimed at women? I think so. Like a classic case was there was a commercial done recently. It was a sports watch brand, it, you know, those kind of like heart rate tracker brands. Mm. I can't remember the name of the brand, but it was publicised in the UK there about two months ago and it was created by a creative team of 32 men. And the creative was a woman that runs the street at night at like 3 a.m. in the city to kind of run in mm. her own time. Oh, I remember that. Sober. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody was like, this is like absolutely tone deaf. There no women run at this time of night, you know. Mm. And if, if that ad was made by women, what would it say? And I think an example of that is Zoe Brennan Whitmore, one of our producers and directors, created this piece for an amazing company. You might have featured them in the past, um, Riley. Mm. They're sustainable. They're a sustainable period yes. company. Yes, we've had and them. Yeah, we we were always really annoyed with um, um, tampon or tampax ads that have like you know the girls in the white skirts playing tennis and blue mm-hmm. blue blood being poured on products. So we created like the opposite of what a period ad should be, 
and we went bells and whistles with it and it attracted so much business for the, the Riley team. Um, it was a real great talking point. It won a number of awards in the advertising circles. Um, it created like a billboard campaign in London for them. And it just created a point of difference for that brand. So the work that we do really fits in with those challenger type brands. So brands that need to be a bit more risky with their content to get ahead. Um, so, yeah, I think when you have women as part of the creative team working on brands and content for women, it hits the note quicker yeah. and it creates a bit more impact as well. And Gronia, any other projects that you have in the pipeline coming up? Are you working with any more global superstars that you can tell us about? <laughs> well, we've two we've two very exciting briefs on our desks at the moment, but due to NDAs, I won't be able to release them yet. But um, yeah, I think it's it's a really exciting time for the team. Um, we won best commercial at the EDA Awards last year. We're in the Berlin Commercial Awards for another project we did. And we also won the Virgin Media short film competition Fabulous. Um, this year as well. So it's been a nice few wins this year. And we'll be pushing out our brand new director's roster in the next number of months. So I think our partnerships with the UK, the US and Europe will kind of lead into some really mm. exciting projects for us. So I think now that we have the Ed Sheeran Burna Boy music video done in Ireland, it's created a a blueprint that any other big production can obviously be done here because in Ireland we've like such a brilliant track record with all of our Netflix or Disney productions here or feature film industry so Ireland is such an amazing place for these productions to happen mm. and we find we're getting a lot of work from the UK because of Brexit as well it's easier to service productions here and from London it's becoming about 25% more cheaper to shoot in, in Ireland as well so we're getting a lot of business from the UK at the moment um, over the last kind of like 18 months so yeah it's really exciting not only for us as a company but I just think as the industry over the next few years it's it's going to be um, I think one of Ireland's really successful niche industries. Absolutely. And fair play to you and congratulations on your success. Have you spoken to uh, Burna Boy and Ed Sheeran since the video came out? <laughs> <laughs> they're busy They're busy touring, but they did send lovely thank you emails um, from them and their team. And yeah, it's great to see when artists, like people just think like directors shoot these music videos uh, kind of with their creative vision, mm. but it is very collaborative. The artists would always like feedback on what they want to see and artists being artists are just immaculate in terms of their vision for the piece as well. So it really was like a collaboration between the director, the artists, also the creative production team, um, the commissioning and the labels. So it's a really nice process to be part of. But yeah, they were delighted with it and we've Brilliant. seen it everywhere which is the which is the important thing Fantastic Gronia thank you so much for chatting to me today um, I really enjoyed the chat and best of luck to yourself Fiona No problem Fiona thanks for having me on Isn't it great to see young people doing so well um, fair play to Gronia and her sister or her cousin Fiona um, and the best of luck to them with their company Heritage um, and exciting projects we'll have to wait and see what those two briefs are in the future Now uh, Jim has been in touch via WhatsApp on 083 96 to say Fiona Donald Trump coming to Ireland, a major security operation by Gardaí. Why? It will cost the state a fortune to make him supply his own security. I don't think he's welcome here.
there anyway. Dangerous man. And that came in from Jim. Thank you so much, Jim, for that. Anybody else agree with Jimmy? Do you think that um, that Donald Trump should be able to pay for his own security, that we shouldn't be paying for it here, that we shouldn't be sending all our Gardaí up to uh, Dunebeg to, for uh, security for his trip over here? Let us know. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 9696 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Jim was wondering why Gardaí are going to uh, Dunebeg for Donald Trump's arrival here in Ireland, um, where there will be a major security operation. And he was saying that it will cost the state a fortune and he should supply his own security. Alex has been in touch to say it should be the Gardaí look after Trump, but he should pay their wages for that. And prepay, please, because you know how hard it is to get money out of him after something. Thank you for that, Alex. I was also talking earlier about the actress Alicia Silverstone sharing her bed with her 11-year-old son and child psychologists have said that it's irresponsible. And Bernie has been in touch to say she is a loving mother. Tell the psychologists to mind their own business. And we did have another um, WhatsApp message that came in, Bernie, that was of a similar tone. You know, what you do in your own house with your children, if you want to have them in the bed with you, well then that's your own business and no one else's. If you agree, let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. And when I say that, I mean like, you know, being a loving parent, which is no doubt what Alicia Silverstone is. She has said that, you know, she is a loving mama and I have no doubt that she is a loving mama. Now, um, the Rose of Tralee contest will be taking place in August and representing Sydney this year is a Cork woman from Glanton, Maud Brennan. Good morning, Maud. Morning. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy and to be home. Oh, you are home at the minute, are you? I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm here in Glanton. Ah, <laughs> lovely. How does it feel to be home? <laughs> good, good. It's been a while, so glad to be back. When was the last time you were home? Um, I, not as long as others, but luckily I got, I got I came home in 2020 for a couple of months and I luckily got back to Australia. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've been there since January 2021 without being home, so it's, it's long enough. It is, it is. And how long yeah. are you home for? Are you home for a little while? Um, yeah, I'm going to be home for just under two months. Brilliant. So, yeah, a nice stint. It is, it is a nice stint. So tell me, you're going to be representing Sydney. How did I this am. all come about? <laughs> um, I suppose it, it's been off for the last two years. So then when um, they announced over in Sydney that the Sydney Rose was going ahead again, I kind of, it's something that I've always talked about I would love to love to do. Um, I just love like all like the crack and the kind of everything that goes with it. So one of my friends um, had told me in Sydney that they were looking for the Sydney Rose this year. So I just put myself forward. So 14 of us um, entered it. There was 10 um, Irish and four Australians with Irish parents. And there was like a load of events and interviews done in Sydney over the course of a month. Mm. And then we had like a big ball. Uh, there was like 300 people there um, from like all over the Irish community in Sydney and then they announced me as the winner which I got a major shock <laughs> Was it always your dream to enter the Rose of Tralee? <laughs> like it's always something I would have loved I said to myself I'd love to do because obviously like everyone I grew up watching it and I I went to college in Tralee as well 
So every August I'd be down there when the dome was being put up and it just always looked like so much fun. (laughs) um, (laughs) And I suppose if you were going to ever imagine yourself as a rose, you'd probably have imagined yourself as a cork rose rather than... (laughs) absolutely. You'd never think of yourself as an international rose. (laughs) No, so yeah, just yeah, being international, it's mad. Obviously Sydney is such, you know, like major city and to be, to be coming back representing that is fairly mad. <laughs> and, and uh, you are an you are working as a nurse in Sydney and you were obviously yes. working as a nurse during COVID. That must have been yes. quite tough. Um, but I worked in the hotel quarantine system. Right. So I def- definitely had it easier to nurses who were in hospitals at the time, but it came with its own difficulties as well. As you can imagine, working in a, for people being forced into two weeks of paid quarantine that they didn't want to do you were the first person at the end of the phone to them. Mm. So it definitely did um, have its difficulties. But it was also great at the time because it was all Irish and English working in the hotels. And we were lucky when we did have our lockdowns in Sydney, we were the few that got to actually leave the house and go to work. Mm. So it was, you know, it it was good aspects of it. Um, And then that all finished up at the end of last year. All the hotels closed as the pandemic kind of came to and was kind of coming to an end in Australia. So then all the COVID work dried up and then I went back into more kind of clinical nursing Mm. and then I went into palliative care, um, home care for palliative patients is what I'm doing at the moment, mostly over there. And was there a lot of Irish doing that kind of work over there? We hear so much about, you know, Irish nurses flying overseas, particularly to Mm. Australia. Do you see a lot of Irish nurses over there? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every second person is nearly an Irish nurse at the moment over there. Um, it's because when you're training in Ireland, all you hear is, oh, go to Australia, go to Australia. It's, it's great. And it definitely is. There's definitely aspects of nursing in Australia that is much better to Ireland. Mm. But there's also parts then, you know, where you can you feel like Ireland's a bit better. So there is pros and cons to it. But I feel there's just a lot more opportunities in Australia for nurses. Yeah. Like like one of my friends is working in the mines. I have another friend who works in Northern Territory, the Outback, you know, in an Aboriginal community. So there is all these like, kind of amazing experiences and opportunities that you wouldn't get in Ireland. Um, so mm. yeah, there is a lot, lot of Irish nurses over there, a lot. And you said you went over in 2020. Like, what's the lifestyle yes. like over there? Um, you know, there's a huge Irish scene, I'd imagine. Yeah, huge Irish scene. And we very much just stick together. <laughs> um, we go to the same places every weekend. Um, there's a huge GA scene over there. I don't play myself, but my housemate would play. And like there's league, there's um, the equivalent of like, you know, the championship over there. There's a big weekend when we all go down to Melbourne. It's a huge GA um, competition and it goes on over the weekend. Mm. Then there's also a huge Irish music scene. One of the girls actually who was in the Sydney Rolls with me started the Cohaltist in Sydney. And there's a place called the Gaelic Club. And every weekend there's trad on and you can go there and get a pint of Guinness and a tail sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) There's a huge, huge Irish scene. Um, and then along with that, the Sydney Centre, the Sydney Road truly is a huge part of that. Yeah. Um, next year is the 60th anniversary of the Sydney Centre. So as you can imagine, like there's a lot of older Irish in Sydney as well. So they've been following it for years. And like at the Sydney Ball a few months ago, it, the ages were all ages there because like that people have been part of the Sydney Road for so, mm. so long. And they love coming back to it because obviously when you're so far from home, it's so nice to have that part of home there and you kind of cling to it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, huge, huge Irish community over there. You mentioned the GAA and there are a lot of GAA clubs in um, Sydney in particular. Um, are you a member of any of them? Are you involved in the GAA over there? No, no, I wouldn't be a GAA woman at all. <laughs> I would be, I'd be a social member. I go to, I go support my, one of my, my housemates plays for St. Pat's. 
yeah. I go support her at her matches and I go to all the social events. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I wouldn't. I gave up GA now many years ago myself. <laughs> but the social events are all part of it as well. They're just as yeah, equally as important, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. They need someone to cheer them on. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that um, the GA clubs over there in particular do a lot of mental health initiatives. And I was reading there um, during the week that a girl from Newmarket is over there at the minute, Moret O'Connor, and she's um, helping out with her local club and trying to raise awareness around mental health and you know I think that um, the GA over there um, and the Irish it's all about you know looking after each other isn't it and, and, and looking out for each other Oh absolutely absolutely because you know when you are so far from home your friends do become your family over there and mm. um, so yeah we really are like all there just to look out for each other and help each other and there's even this community that meets every Sunday morning um, in Kudji my local beach like a men's group and yeah. like that, it's, it's all just to encourage young men to talk and encourage mental health awareness. And you'd see them below at the beach every Sunday morning. And like that, it's just a, a bunch of 30, 40 Irish guys all meeting up. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it is very much like look out for each other over there when your friends are your family. Yeah. When you go over to Australia, and obviously it's so far away from home, it must give you a great sense of security to know that you have that support network around you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You'd be lost without your friends over there. Um, because like that, it really hits you how far you are from, from home, especially mm. over the last year and a half, not being able to, I know you can't come home as often as you like normally, but with COVID, being locked in the country, not being able to leave, like without giving up your life there, that kind of a thing. And mm. um, it is great to have that community over there. And like that, you can go to the Irish pub and have a Guinness potato sandwich if you do want, you know, that little bit of home. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's lovely. There's a, yeah, very, very nice over there now at the moment. And, um, you know, the you were mentioning there that your friend um, is involved in, in the in the football tournaments. But um, yeah. I believe that some of the, the pitches are flooded at the minute. So the game's yeah. been called off. <laughs> we haven't had, she hasn't had a match in weeks because the weather in Sydney the last few months has been brutal. We've been washed out of it. So, yeah, the pitch has been flooded and they ha- there's only the one GA pitch um, where everyone goes to play the matches. It's mm. like an hour outside of Sydney City. So that has been flooded. Um, so yeah, there's been no um, league game played over the last few weeks at all. It's so funny, isn't it? Because when we're here looking out at the rain and we imagine that Sydney has this beautiful weather all year round. And it's, I know. <laughs> no, because yeah, we were up at the Galway races yesterday, about 20 of the roses, and we had a lovely day and we were all quite warm and they're all saying, she must be used to it. And I said, no, <laughs> we had we had about two weeks of summer this year, two weeks of sun. The rest of the time we've had the heater turns on, the electric blanket, the rain has been falling. Yeah. It's been, yeah. And <laughs> so the day whole, actually left, it cleared up. The whole uh, roses thing has started, then you're all kind of going around to different events and stuff like that. How is that going for you? Great. Yeah, it was lovely. Now, yesterday we went up, the Galway Rose invited us up to the races yesterday. Mm. And there was about 20, 20, 22 of us there. And it was so nice just to finally put like, you know, names to the faces. And we were like, the cameras were on us. It was so weird, you know, being stopped and asked for photographs and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but it was fab, really, really nice. We're very excited now for the month ahead. So the tour starts now the 11th of August. We'll be starting Brilliant. below in Wexford. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah, all- and when will you be coming to Cork, do you know? When does the tour in Cork? We come into Cork on the 18th of August. We arrive in that afternoon and then we go to Tralee the following day. So we'll be, I think we're in the Cardline Hotel that night, I think we're staying. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I'll be, myself and the Cork Rose will be proud out when we roll into Cork. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure the people of Cork will be coming out and supporting yeah. you. And I know that on your Facebook page, uh, you have a lot of gorgeous dresses. <laughs> oh my God, the support has been, I'm 
I'm over like it's overwhelming the support from the local communities. Like I was in Carrickline, Canturk, Ellaville for my Mallow. It's amazing. People are just like want to give you shoes, bags, everything. <laughs> they're amazing. They're just so excited, you know, for for the rose to be back and they're so excited for like a local girl to be in it as well yeah so yeah they've been the support has been amazing so keep the gorgeous dresses and shoes coming <laughs> yeah <that is. laughs> well listen best of luck enjoy the tour and best Thanks of luck we'll be keeping an eye out for you and we'll be all cheering you on here um, on the opinion line that of course is Maud Brennan she's going to be representing Sydney in this year's Rose of Tralee lovely catching up with Maud and best of luck to all the roses from the opinion line here on Cork's 96 FM Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays 10am to 2pm. With Hidden Hearing. Tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie Cork's 96FM Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. 3, 2, 1. Counting down to Indy 22. Cork's 96 FM. And this bank holiday weekend, Cork's 96 FM is all about indie. We're live from Independence Music and Arts Festival this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Stay listening and follow our socials for updates and highlights from Independence all weekend long. We're live from Indy 22 Friday at 4 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. And coming to you live across the weekend today, we have the big drive home with Lorraine from 4 to 8 p.m. and then the hit mix with Shane Books from 8 to 12 p.m. Tomorrow, 2 to 6 p.m., we have Darren and Demi and 6 to 10 p.m., we have Club 96 with Emmett Dunley. And then on Sunday, we have Select Irish from 6 to 8 p.m. and the hit mix with Shane Books from 8 to 12 p.m. And now I'm going to cross over to Independence where festival publicist Michael Carr is standing by. Good morning, Michael. You are speaking to me live from the site at Independence. Atmosphere is obviously building already. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's great to see people back. It's great to see the festival back in Mitchelstown. It's the first indie since 2019. So, you know, we've had a couple of years off like everyone else. Yeah. But um, it's, it's making a welcome return. And yeah, the, the town's getting busy at the moment. Um, campsites opening very soon and then the main arena will be open later on this afternoon. You have some really big acts on the bill this year. Yeah, there's some great ones in fairness. Um, I mean, Fatboy Slim, is, it's going to be the first time Fatboy Slim has played Indy. Uh, obviously, you know, we're, we're talking legend there, total legend. <laughs> yeah. um, we've got Bastille back on the Saturday night. This is the third time Bastille has done Indy. So like, the first time they did it was about 10 years ago, just as the track Pompeii was kind of blowing up. So they had a really good time. It was probably their biggest gig, actually, that they that they'd done at the time. So mm. there was always a nice relationship between, you know, the gang at Indy and the band. And they came back a few years ago, did the main stage, and now uh, this is the third time. You know, they, they like coming here, I think, at this mm. stage. <laughs> um, and then we rudimental... Um, you know, UK jungle outfit um, that are headlining tonight. 
So, I mean, there's some big hitters. They're, they're big headliners, you know, for any festival, I would say. Um, and then there's a great, you know, a, a great card underneath them. Um, Becky Hill, who was in Musgrave Park a few weeks ago, playing with the script. She's going to be playing Sunday night. Mm. Uh, we've, uh, you know, as always, there's a there's a brilliant Irish lineup. Um, the Academic are playing. Uh, they're at on before Bastille Saturday. Erica Cody is in there. There's a lot of kind of you know upcoming Irish acts like Thea Moon, Malachi, Sophie Doyle Ryder, um, and uh, yeah, and then we've, there's a really good kind of dance element to the festival as well. Some brilliant DJs. There's a new kind of uh, Heineken dance arena. So you know anyone who's into their their DJs and electronic music should be well catered for. Doesn't it just go to show with a lineup like that how popular and well respected and well known independence has become? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know it's it's, it's a festival I've always thought that did it the right way. Um, you know, it started in the town square in Mitchellstown, uh, you know, more or less on the back of the lorry mm-hmm. uh, in a few pubs around town, and they moved out to where we are now. Just you know, there's a, it's a, a greenfield site just about half a mile outside town. Um, and, and it kind of grew gradually. Like they never tried to to bite off more than they could chew. Mm. Um, you know, and you learn from every year. You know, you, you you find ways of doing things better. Your reputation grows, I guess. You know, and, and fans that have come here, you know, have always had a good time. Then go back and you know, word of mouth is a great thing in the in the music industry. So you know, word of mouth spreads that it's a it's a great festival to come and play. So you know, it's, it's built up over the years to what it is now which is you know firmly on the not just Irish I'd say but like European festival map And Michael you mentioned there that the Heineken tent is a new addition to the festival this year is there any other new additions that you have at Independence this year? Um, oh, there's always little new additions popping up here mm. and there um, I mean the, the lads have never rested on their laurels like they always try to kind of improve the site and you know make it better for punters and for artists um, the Imro stage is a really good one, you know, that's promoting Irish acts over the weekend. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's lots of kind of little pop-up um, places here and there, smaller kind of dance tents. Uh, the Beer Hall, which is a, a big favourite, is back again, um, where you'll find like the 80s and 90s lads from Cork playing uh, uh, late at night, which is always a, a big hit. Yeah. So... There's, there's a nice mix of kind of new stuff happening and then a lot of kind of old favourites, I suppose. And I suppose the, the the great excitement of a festival and the joy of a festival is, of course, the music, but it's also all of the other little bits that are happening around the place as well. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, even even in town, in Mitchellstown over the weekend, you know, a lot of people like to head in, you know, get a bite to eat, have a, have a pint or whatever. Mm. You know, so there'll be kind of little pop-up gigs going on around town. Um you know, on the site, the campsite's always a good laugh here. You know, <laughs> a lot of people spend half their weekend on the campsite having the crack. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I mean, it, 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 the, the nice thing about it as well is it, it's not too big. You know, the, the site itself is, you, you get around the site fairly easily, fairly quickly. The access to everywhere is really good. So, you know, sometimes you can be at giant festivals and, you know, take an hour to get from one side mm. of the site to the other. Whereas I think Indy still has that you know, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of stages, but it still has that kind of small festival feel about it. And if anybody was listening to this now, today, and they think, oh, do you know what, I'd love to go to the festival, is it too late now? Um, <laughs> All tickets are gone, are they? 
Uh, they're not. No, no. I think. Um, I, I think that there's still day tickets, uh, and there's still maybe a, a limited amount of weekend camping. So I, I would say that the, the Sunday day tickets. Um, I don't know. There's not, and I would suspect because of Fat Boy Slim playing Sunday night, mm. um, they they've been selling like hot cakes. Um, but I'd say if you check out the website at independencefestival.com, um, if you fancy going up for a day for a look, uh, you'll, you'll definitely get a ticket there at the moment. But mm. I'd say if you're if you want a weekend camping ticket, you know, I'd, I'd get on the case very quick. Brilliant. Okay. Is there any act in particular that you're really looking forward to seeing? Um. I well. I've never seen Fat Boy Slim, I guess. He's so, great, you know, actually. I yeah. actually saw him in the Old Oak, believe it or not. <laughs> no way, really? Yeah, he was playing, uh, do you remember the Arthur Guinness days that they used to have? Oh, I and I, um, I got into the Old Oak and there was Fat Boy Slim <laughs> rocking the venue. Wow. He was amazing. Yeah, it was class. Yeah, uh, look, I think he's going to be great. Mm. Um, there's a guy, uh, Daddy Freer is his name. He's Icelandic, Icelandic musician mm-hmm. playing tonight uh, for Rudimental. I think he sounds really good. There's a, there's actually one of the, it might be one of the kind of, you know, quiet highlights. There's a Cork artist called Jay Rilla, mm-hmm. um, and he's playing on Sunday, I think, um, on the dance stage. And it's, it's going to be his biggest show to date. And uh, he's a great mix of, like, hip-hop in there and all sorts. Um, so I, I think, yes, yeah, if there's anyone from Cork who wants to catch something, you know, fresh and new, mm. and someone who I definitely think you'll be hearing more of, I'd say Jay Rilla, probably the one on Sunday. Brilliant. Michael, enjoy the festival and thanks for joining me on the opinion line to uh, tell me what's happening across the weekend at Independence in Mitchellstown. Lots happening in Mitchellstown this weekend and also um, Maraid, our 96FM reporter, has been on her travels around Cork and this week she's been to Mallow where she's been looking at what's on offer for locals and visitors there. Self-guided maps for every historic town in the county should be available by next year. Here's County Archaeologist Mary Sleeman. It's an initiative to start with Cork County Council in West Cork. This is number 13 and we hope to deliver them all before next year. Uh, that there'll be guided, self-guided maps for all the historic towns in the county. Mallow's new colourful and informative illustrated map highlights key heritage sites and buildings. It's magic, the information that you can impart, but it's quite difficult to impart that information. And we feel this is quite successful. One of the key uh, aims of the Cork County Council is to disseminate information. Uh, and that's where these play a significant role. And understanding architecture and, and heritage sometimes can be difficult so to break it down into this this kind of easy to understand accessible information is fantastic. Here in Mallow, a historic building dating back almost 200 years has been given a new lease of life, serving as the town's new tourist office. The newly renovated spa house was officially opened earlier this month. Rose Carroll is Tourism Development Officer with Cork County Council. Mallow is great as a central point for visitors in the sense that you now have Mallow Castle grounds and playground. You've the recently completed Tip O'Neill Park. You've got uh, two OPW properties very close by. You've got Donrell Court and Wildlife Park and indeed you've Gove Gardens and uh, you also have many activities for uh, children. Fantastic outdoor walks and leisure pursuits. So Mallow and its surrounding areas are well known for its historic 
houses and gardens. Fishing is another very big close by asset. And I think in many instances, it's undiscovered gems of North Cork that there's a real opportunity now to promote um, Mellow as an alternative option to the coast. Aside from the self-guided maps, Cork County Council's Explore Cork app features over 850 places to see and things to do in Cork. Nowadays, uh, a lot of areas see the benefits uh, of tourism. Uh, It's a great opportunity to get the community involved and uh, indeed within Cork County Council we're involved in many community tourism initiatives right across the county and it gives a reason for all of those communities and groups involved to be proud of their area and you know to bring out the best of the location Uh, North Cork I keep saying is a hidden gem North Cork has the best medieval architecture as well all the friaries and castles that it has unlike any other part of the county President of Mallow Chamber Sharon Craig says Mallow is very accessible Irish Rail are investing huge money into the infrastructure here. Um, We've even seen something there recently, very attractive, the Leap Card. Mallow is very accessible. We're close to Cork, we're close to Killarney, we're close to Limerick, so we're sort of in the heart of Munster. And also, like, it's a great town. We have loads happening, even on the outskirts of Mallow. Uh, we've Donrail Park, we've Anne's Grove Gardens. So it's a huge tourist opportunity. Kevin Owens of the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow says it's great to see the buzz around the town. After being closed for so long uh, and dealing with the, the COVID period, which obviously every business was affected and uh, particularly hospitality, but uh, it's great to be back in action and it's great to be seeing people coming through the doors and also seeing the tour buses pulling up outside again, which is great for the town. Now, if you want to go to something a bit different this Saturday night, well, why don't you go over to the Comedy Club at City Limits where Carl Spain and guests will be performing. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying being described as a bit different. <laughs> I meant the comedy because we've been talking on the show about music know, and about I festivals. <laughs> I, I, I do enjoy. I, I actually enjoyed hearing five keep on moving. I haven't heard that in a while. I know, yeah. And one of the girls I lived with in college had a bit too much of a crush on Jay, I think is the one of them. I know. And they used to come to Dublin a bit, but I'd often come in and go, oh, I've just seen your man from five. And she, like, but three times. She knew I was joking, but there'd be like a 10 seconds of screams. And then, oh, it's you telling me, you know. <laughs> in all fairness, I think there was many, many of us out there who really fancied Jay from five at the time. <laughs> and I'm sure there were many of us who fancied you as well, Carl Spain, especially when you were on oh, Carl stop. Spain Wants a Woman. <laughs> well, I am I am something different. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to live Certainly that down. different from Jay. <laughs> Carl, tell us about your show at the Comedy Club this Saturday. Uh, what can people expect when they go? Something a little different? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, know, do you know what I'm actually talking about? And... I, I, I'm talking about Love Island. I have about 20 minutes on Love Island. Right. And it's, it's if you're not watching Love Island, you'll still get the references. I'm kind of complaining about it and giving out about it and going, oh, yeah, he's gorgeous, but he might be gorgeous, but he's stupid, isn't he? What's he do for a living? <laughs> Microbiologist. Microbiologist. He couldn't even do big biology. You know, it's um, <laughs> it, it's it's kind of like a, a an older man's take on it, but still, I, yeah. I do enjoy it. <laughs> we know that uh, you have been on TV shows before, reality TV shows, as I said, like, 
like you know your Carl Spain wants a woman was the original Love popular. Island and as it was yeah, yeah I was going to say would you can you fancy yourself going on Love Island is this something that you can see yourself doing <laughs> well no I'm I'm still with Rachel the girl I met on my show we're still together after 17 years so Isn't let's see brilliant? if David and Eck and Sue can match that <laughs> that's um, fantastic yeah 17 years yeah and uh, but it is it is I, so I do have a I do know kind of what they're going through well you know mine was you know we'd record the dates it wasn't well you know I know it's not live but you're yeah. kind of aware that you've been filmed and stuff like that and most of the girls were great that I met you know it just you know I felt a connection yeah with Rachel and I wanted to explore that and go on more dates but uh it, there was a couple of mad ones as well, but they, they, <laughs> they were mostly, mostly they didn't make it to screen. And you did Celebrity Operation Transformation as well, which, you know, is, um, it's I think it's a really brave thing to do because, you know, you're really kind of um, putting it out there <laughs> on national TV when you go on that show, do you know? So is there any more, like, would you ever do a reality TV show again? Are there any plans to do anything like that? It's never say never, but it's, um, I could do celebrity operation transformation. <laughs> She's a psycho as well, Carl. <laughs> thanks for putting in the celebrity because the amount of people who say, oh, and you did operation transformation, I have to go celebrity, celebrity. Um, <laughs> it was, no, it was, it was, I, I'm not, um, I, when you say brave, I know it's one of those things, there's a certain vulnerability, but I, I'm, you know, comedians, we don't, we kind of expose our vulnerabilities on stage and share them with. So doing it on TV is just, you know, slightly different. Um, You've less control when you're not making the show yourself or you're not part of the production. You're in yeah. the, involved in the show, but you don't know what they're going to use. And but like, no, I think they looked after us very well. I, I don't have a fear of doing stuff. I prefer to just do stuff that are, that's fun and a bit of crap. Now, you know, you kind of get yeah. asked to do different things. And did that um, ever backfire, putting your vulnerability on stage like that? Um, no, because you explore. You know, it's it's it only backfires if you don't get the laugh. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really like comedians. There's a there's a like well, it's not all comics do it, but there's a there's an honesty to it. You're good comedy. There's a real honesty and a rawness to it. Um, and you look back and you feel, you know, you connect the people go, Oh, I can relate to this. I can connect with this. Now, as I said on Saturday, it might be just, yeah, I agree with him on love Island and that as well, but yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's about putting out your own, um, views on the world and having people go, yeah, I agree with that. Or, mm. I still just find it funny. You don't always have to agree. I think that's part of the thing in modern world. People <laughs> go, oh my God, I'm laughing, but I wouldn't agree with that. I mean, it's never my intention to upset anyone or, you know. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. But it's just like, sometimes a joke, you slightly crossing, you're not crossing it, you know, you're crossing a line to just get a laugh, but you're mm. not doing it to upset anyone or uh, yeah. any individual or any group. But it's, um, it's yeah, it, it, it is, yeah, it is, can be... Uh, it can be a good thing. It can be therapeutic as well to talk about things. Absolutely. I'm sure on the radio you'll sometimes, you know, uh, you know, you'll start sharing things that you wouldn't think about, you know. Yeah. You know oh, I got a parking ticket. And then you give up <laughs> your opinion on whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, got, yeah, absolutely. And Karen, you know, so we do reveal a lot of ourselves. You know, when you're, for want of a better word, broadcasting, be it in a mm. live sense or on, on, in, on a radio or whatever. I think, though, um, you know, for a comedian and you're standing up on a stage and, you know, as you said, if if, if people aren't laughing, it, um, you know, it, I, I'd imagine that it would throw you off a little bit. So, you know, you're you're obviously from Limerick and being a Limerick man, how do you find the Cork audience then? So how do they react to you? 
Cork, Cork audiences are great. I mean, City Limits, you're blessed in Cork with City Limits, one of the best clubs in the world. And I've, well, I haven't fully done South America yet, but I've been around. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there's nowhere like City Limits. <laughs> there's nowhere like Cork. Um, I, I actually remember um, getting flying into Cork Airport once and getting the taxi to the train station. The taxi driver, I said to him, oh, is it terrible going to the airport every day and never flying away? And he goes, so why would I leave Cork? <laughs> <laughs> We've everything here. <laughs> and I said, oh, can we drive past the Eiffel Tower? So on the way to the train station. <laughs> but Cork audiences are great. I I, I, I do it to an eye, Brian, in City Limits, where I always praise Cork people yeah. for supporting a Limerick team like the Munster rugby team. But uh, <laughs> again, that's some people might think that's crossing a line, but it's just it's just a, it's just a joke. So, like, if you were um, playing to a Cork audience, would you get heckled then because you're from Limerick? Not really. No, heckles. I always say heckles are a bit of a myth. Um, there was a lovely heckle. It would take too long. To, I was up in Dublin in the Ivy Gardens at the weekend. It was a lovely heckle. It would take too long to explain and you'd kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah. But it was an <laughs> audience member. No, but it was an audience member being very funny. Yeah. And that's rare. You know, the timing of it, you know, it, like people don't, I don't think people understand sometimes what heckles are. Like, you know, mm-hmm. someone just shouting out, you're rubbish or you're, um, something even more vulgar. Yeah, is you know that's not just you know that it's it's technically a heckle, but then if you just tell them to f off or whatever, yeah. is the natural response. You know, it's not they're just disruptive. Like yeah, it's, it's not adding anything to someone, the show. Yeah, a good heckle is someone being funny. I had one once where I was joking about saying I'm. Uh, it was I was in Port Leash and it was a good few years ago. And I was saying about I'm too good looking to do comedy, so I wear prosthetics and a fat suit, yeah. so so that the girls will be able to listen to me and not be distracted by my beauty. <laughs> and one of them heckled with, um, "You're wearing a bigger fat suit than last time you were here." Oh, no, like that's terrible. But that was it. Was I laughed as uh, probably more than anyone in the audience? But that, you know. But they're rare. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I'm 22 years doing comedy and a good heckle, I'd, I'd struggle to get to 10. I, I mean, five I can think of yeah. at a push. You know, you know, there's always someone being disruptive or getting up and just being annoyed about something, you know, not yeah. even when someone else is on stage. But then people not laughing. If people aren't laughing, it's like I'm doing, as I said, I'm more experienced now. If people aren't laughing, I'm, my arrogance would tell me, no, this isn't me. This something else has happened. <laughs> They're all but just having a bad I've, day. <laughs> yeah, I remember being in Montreal and the first night was amazing. So second night I get on stage, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. And it just wasn't right. And then I found out they'd been queuing a little bit longer. The show on before was, hadn't been cleared. So they were out in the rain for nearly an hour. Oh God, all right, okay, yes. So when they get on stage, they weren't as much fun and yeah. we found out afterwards, but you do sense it sometimes or yeah. something's happened or you've, a couple have had an argument before the gig and you're kind of, everyone's kind of tense because Carl, something's happened. You're, as I said, you're at the Comedy Club at City Limits this Saturday. It says Carl Spain and guests. Who are the guests? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think, I think now, I think it's Tommy Tiernan, Dylan Moran, <laughs> Billy Connolly. Yeah, it is, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Jay from Five doing an acoustic set. I'll cue all the women running down then, so. <laughs> all the women running down to complain. I haven't mentioned any female acts. Oh, Sarah Millican. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, listen, thank you so much. And uh, apologies for my intro. I didn't really. <laughs> no, I had to. I have a tendency I, I, to put my foot in it, Carl. <laughs> no, I, I just, I'm here. To, if I was distracted, I was just typing my complaint. <laughs> Fiona's gone from next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm available to fill in, by the way. <laughs> Knowing of the bank holidays off, that's always good. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> All right, Carl, listen, thank you so much for joining me. That is Carl no Spain, no and way. he is going to be at the Comedy Club at City Limits on Saturday, this Saturday, 30th of July. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96FM. We were speaking to Michael Carr earlier about independence and Katie has been over there speaking to some people waiting to get in. I'm looking forward to see Bastille Rudimental and Becky Hill. Bastille Rudimental and Shane Todd. The Blizzards, Leah Hart and Casey. Rudimental, Bastille and Becky Hill. What are things you can't go camping without? A sleeping bag. A tent. <laughs> Uh, boots and a blanket a pillow a sleeping bag tent and a mattress (laughs) (laughs) seeing everyone a weekend away basically and seeing a lot of acts I suppose seeing people you wouldn't usually see because of college and people moving away and stuff it's like a place where people can like come back together and see each other again it's been raining this weekend will you still enjoy it? oh yeah definitely definitely I'm going all out yeah I suppose we'll we'll struggle a lot I suppose (laughs) And thank you for that, Katie. And uh, good luck to everyone going over to Independence. Have a great weekend. Now, uh, Corkman is going to be wowing the judges, or he already has wowed the judges, on Malta's Got Talent. David Punch joins me now. Good morning, David. Morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Uh, David, what's been happening with Malta's Got Talent? I know you sent off your your original song, Different, and they were very impressed. So where are you now in the the whole stage? Yeah, so... um I went on to, uh, so I actually looked it up on, it was on Instagram, just, you know, going on my social media and then yeah. I just saw there was an advertising um, for auditions from Otto's Got Talent. So all I did, I just sent in my uh, song of Different, which everyone knows back on my car. Uh, they, know, they, don't, they don't know about that. Um, so yeah, so I sent in the video to them on WhatsApp and then they contacted me saying, um, would you like to do a video, a video call with one of the producers? Mm. Um, so I did that and then I um, yeah, got offered um, to go on to the judges. So that happened yesterday. So I can't say much about that. Okay. But um, it, was, it was a very good experience. So I enjoyed it immensely and got to meet other uh, contestants there. And yeah, I had my friends who are living over here in Malta. They went to it. And um, yeah, no, it was a great experience. And yeah, I'll have to wait until... The show airs, I think, around October okay. here in Malta. But I will let you know uh, when it's done. Do, do. Best of luck with it. And David, your song, of course, you wrote it yourself different. Um, what? Yeah. It's, it's about your own life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's about my own life. So uh, when I was younger, I was diagnosed with having Asperger's syndrome. Um, so it's a, it's a high-functioning um, autism. Mm. Um, so um, I wrote it there during COVID-19 in 2020. 
And um, yeah, I'm just worried about having the struggles about having it. Um, but so I was like being bullied in school and like music was always my dream to do. And I was just getting bullied because of like, I know, I was being a loner. I know friends, mm. little friends. And then I was, um, my communication skills was very bad. I was, I was socially awkward with people as well. Mm. Um, but um, when, um, yeah, so I wrote it, I wrote it there during 2020. And yeah, it, it went it went viral. I think it went very went it went very well. Everyone enjoyed it, and I want to inspire people. You know that that was the song. That's the only re- that's the reason why I did it, um, mm. just to inspire people who who, who could follow their dreams, outcasts like me, um, like, like me, and um, just to yeah, just, just to go and follow their dreams. Outcasts like you, people. but look at you now. You're you're flying it. <laughs> and are you living? In, are you living in Malta now all the time, David? Um, I'm just uh, back and forth. Um, I was just here. I was actually here on holidays here in a few months ago, and mm. um, yeah, I loved it. Um, and then I thought I'd come over here for a few months to see how it goes. Um, but yeah, so far so good. Um, so yeah, I love it. Yeah, um, just the amount of Irish people over here is great. There's a big Irish community over here in Malta, mm. which I love. And the um, it's, it's a lot uh, different. Uh, it's multicultural as well. Different nationalities. Mm. Um, I have friends from all over the world. Which is great, and they've been coming to my gigs. I've been doing, I've, I've been doing a few gigs here as well. Yeah. Uh, mostly gigs at the moment, and it's it's absolutely unreal. I love it. I'm literally well, following my dreams as well, which is great. I'm doing songwriting over here as well. I was actually speaking to Maud Brennan. She's the Sydney Rose, and she's from Cork this year, and she's living over in um, in Sydney at the minute. And she was talking about the big Irish community over there, and you know that they um, are very involved in the GAA over there, and that they all look out for each other and and stick up for each other. Is it similar like that in Malta with the big Irish community? Uh, there would be no um, at the moment. Well, from what I heard from uh, people who uh, from Irish um, people who have been living here for a number of years, uh, there, I don't think there's no more, more ga. There's no no ga here. Mm. Uh, no hurling or or Gaelic or hurling football. But um, there, there have been there have been like football five sides that we go to uh, recently. There actually recently um, um, a Champions League qualifier against the League of Ireland team, Shamrock Rovers. Um, they were over here for a Champions League qualifier with one of the teams here in Malta, mm. and literally, I think all the Irish from the island that, that I knew uh, went to the match, which is great. Mm. Um, so it was there. There is definitely a massive um, Irish community over here. And would you do? Would there be loads of Irish bars over there? Then are you able to yeah. perform in the bars? Then yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there's a uh, there's three Irish bars uh, that I play. Um, definitely, I, I I I give them a shout out because they'll be disappointed if I don't give them a shout out because in uh, one of the bars there's actually two people, two lads, uh, Daryl and Tyke. Uh, they're they're from uh, one of them's from uh, Daryl is from Middleton and Tyke is from Mitchellstown, mm. but uh, they're from Cork. So I straight in. I went. It's called the Crafty Cat. So I play there. Um, there's another bar up in another side of the island. It's called the Craftsman. Um, it's owned by a Cork fella. Who's from uh, who's from Turner's Cross? Right. Um. So he's there. Um. And that's another Irish bird I play yeah. in. Um. There's a yeah. There's a the, yeah. Crafty cat. There's the happy hair. Another Irish bird. Rabbit hole. So it's the same owners. So if anybody um, from Cork yeah. is flying over to Malta now over the next couple of months on a holiday, yeah, there yeah, you go. There's, there's the bars. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and David, so you're enjoying cool. life over there. Yeah, yeah. I look, there was there was nothing much happening back home in Cork for me um, in Ireland, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, you look, I love I love Cork. I love the real capital. 
Um, I'd definitely be going home soon. I'd definitely be going home definitely before Christmas. Good man, uh, one, way, one of my friends is, is playing in Cypress Avenue. And so you might be, be coming over a star then because you might have won Malta's Got Talent at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I never know, you never know. Look, look I'm, enjoy, I'm, I'm enjoying my time here. I'm enjoying my experience and that's, that's the main thing. Brilliant. Well, listen, best of luck with it and let us know how you get on. That is David Punch from Cork and he is in Malta's Got Talent. That's my lot for today. Um, Enjoy your bank holiday weekend. Thanks, of course, to Fergal and Richard and Wayne for helping out over the last two weeks here. I will be back on Tuesday and then PJ will be back with you on Wednesday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Talk to you then. You're listening to Highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie.